Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot on a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing Baba's scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. At least I kinda understand it. Wish that I could throw the loose like I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I gotta say, I've missed you. I'm so sorry for taking more breaks these days. I mean, I'm not, sort of, because I need to make some time for some other stuff. But I do miss our ability to debrief, as it were, about the episodes that I've been putting out. I am very open to talking about last Thursday's episode with David Wallace-Wells about Biden's environmental betrayals. I know there's going to be lots of thoughts and feelings about today's episode with two state directors for the Marion Williamson campaign from two key states, New Hampshire and South Carolina. I met them and thought that it would behoove the public to get a sense of the conversation, a sense of the behind the scenes that I had gotten when I met them. And I'm very interested to hear what you have to say and whether or not this changes your opinion in any way, shape or form, for better or for worse, about the viability or irrelevance or importance or significance of the Marion 2024 campaign. And as always, I am open to hearing whatever else is on your mind. Apologies again for not... Uh, announcing this in advance, setting the times. I know I'm like all over the place with you guys. I'm going to get back into a more regular routine soon going forward. But as it is, let's just get to the queue. Joshua, are you a first-time caller, Joshua? I am. I'm a first-time caller. I've been listening to you for a little while. Well, welcome. It's nice to see your face and let me know what's on your mind tonight. Well, I saw your... uh can Marion win? And uh, I remember learning that she announced that she's running. And uh, I remember liking her from 2020 when she ran, but it was kind of like my third choice behind, you know, Bernie Sanders and a few others. Uh, my concern is her lack of experience. And you mentioned you talked to two state directors she had. So I'm very curious if she has a real uh, thought out plan on how to galvanize this movement that started under Bernie? Because that seems to be the biggest problem I'm seeing is there's no clear successor to the movement. And the question is whether Marianne can be that figure. 
Well, let me ask, let me ask you this. A couple of questions, if I can. Of course. May, may I ask uh, who other than Bernie piqued your interest last time around? So last time around, uh, Warren kind of burned me. I thought that there was a few things that happened in the campaign. I initially did like her, but when the story came out about Bernie supposedly talking her out of running because she's a woman and calling him a misogynist, mm-hmm. that kind of burned me. And her staying in the campaign, which I thought was a fatal blow to Bernie in the Super Tuesday races, that kind of burned me as well. So mm-hmm. I initially did like Warren, but I kind of soured on her during that. Uh, I did like Tulsi Gabbard, but mm-hmm. she's certainly revealed either her true colors or just changed significantly since the 2020 campaign. And, you know, I'm not a fan of her anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. But the only people that, to me, have still stayed the course, at least in terms of policy, has been Bernie and Marion in terms of the people that ran for president. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I guess the reason I asked that question is in part because I I feel two ways about that sort of inquiry about Marianne. I think it's both a legitimate question and also one that isn't always asked of every candidate. And sometimes I feel like she's held by a different standard. So, for example, like I think that people who are asking, is is there a viable path to victory? Can she win? I think that's perfectly legitimate. And I asked the state director some of those questions about how are you going to do differently, make, have a different outcome in South Carolina than Bernie had. You know, you're still dealing with the Jim Clyburn question. Like, how are you going to get past the fact that so many South Carolina black voters, which are basically all of the Democratic voters in South Carolina, you know, how are you going to get them to no longer over rely on Clyburn's endorsement this time around? You know, are things looking different in New Hampshire this time around because people are so chagrined about Biden and the DNC changing the order of states to advantage Biden's um, good showing in places like South Carolina as opposed to New Hampshire? And if, if you know, Marianne does well there, do we expect that to have uh, an impact on the rest of the states? You know, you know, those kinds of questions, I think they're very legitimate. But I also remember I ha- I'm a little triggered because back in 2016, I remember people so preoccupied with this idea of can Bernie win that it it really it it hurt him more than it should have. Like it, it took longer to get his campaign going. And then I think a lot of people who would have invested in it, who said they were ideologically aligned with Bernie, would like wouldn't vote for him in the primary, even though that makes no sense to me. So while I think it's like a legitimate question, especially for a general election, and I think the more pointed question of like, can Marianne beat Trump is an important question in the primary election, right? Assuming that's, you know, something you really need out of the, out of the Democratic candidate. I, I, in some ways, like the, the question of, you know, can she win or can she put back to the back together the coalition? It strikes me as a little like, I mean, you didn't care about it when it was burning or you know, what was Tulsi's path to victory or, you know, what was certainly what was Warren's path to victory, given that she couldn't win her own state. You know what I mean? I don't know. Do you think I'm being too defensive about that? Oh, wait, where did you go? Did we lose him? Oh, where, Joshua, my bad. Um, hey, hey, Joshua. Sorry about that. I accidentally hung up. Uh, I guess my point was, uh, with when it comes to the primary, like if it's between Biden and Marion, I'm just going to vote for her because, mm-hmm. you know, 
he doesn't share any of my values. He's too centrist. And even more recently, especially in the past few weeks, he's even deviated even more centrist. I mean, that was kind of the whole uh, campaign, especially from legacy media, that you can't vote for Bernie because this is the only guy that's going to win. And I think that's a bogus argument. I mean, I, I dare anyone, even you, to tell me, is there a guy who's won the presidency on based only on who he's not? I can't think of a single case. I mean, people mention Car, people mention Reagan and Carter, people mention Roosevelt and Hoover. Like Biden, literally won because he was a Democrat with a pulse, and he wasn't Trump. <laughs> like that's why he won. So in that particular case, yeah, if it was Marianne or um, or Bernie for that matter, I think they could have won. And what I what I meant in this case was beating Biden in the primary, not mm-hmm. not Trump. Like I think if it's Marion Williamson versus Trump, Marion's probably going to take it because there's so many people in this country that's anti-Trump, uh, as demonstrated in the last cycle. Uh, it's just a coalition of people that don't like him. But in this case, it's like you have this huge machine that's so strongly behind Biden. Yeah, I'm hoping that Marion can convince enough people. And have a real yeah. Field strategy I, 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 I guess the reason why the question, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say bothers me, but frustrates me in some ways. It's that if if there were more candidates, if there were other left candidates, if there were any other candidates mm-hmm. in the running, I think it would be, of course, a good question, right? Because if I'm picking between Bernie, oh sorry, Bernie and Marianne and Tulsi and Matthew Ho and, you know, whomever you want to dream of, Cornell West, who like this imaginary slate of candidates that are running that I would love to run, you know, yeah. then I would, of course, be wanting to pick the one that's most likely to beat Biden in the primary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absent that, it seems to me the question is merely what advances my interests the best as a leftist voting for Marianne, voting for Biden or staying home? A hundred percent voting for Marianne, then, if that's your question. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at, too. I'm just, I I don't know. I feel that our slate is not as as versed in terms of getting into the nitty gritty of having a field work and having a strategy and having an operation to really get get out the vote. Mm. Uh, I see what you're saying. That's kind of what really benefited Bernie the second time around because he kind of accidentally became a national figure. Even he Mm. was surprised. But in the middle of it, it's like, all right, we have a huge machine. We're getting millions of donations at $27 a pop. And now we have serious money. We can build a whole network. And it really worked. Yeah. So the second time around, he had a machine ready. And I'm hoping that that machine can either gravitate towards Marion and she kind of inherits it or she can organically build one on our own that's what's that's just what i'm hoping for but yeah i see course, what you're saying when it comes down to it you know if i see her on the ballot i'm like yeah fuck biden i'm just gonna you know uh vote for her because yeah, i see what you're I'm saying perfect, you know what i'm saying so the question about you know how much how well her campaign is like structured and how what her infrastructure is like and stuff like that mm-hmm. i think that's a good question i asked some of that um i do think and this came out toward the end of the conversation that it will be somewhat limited by how many resources she has on hand. And I don't, 
I didn't want to get too into that because, you know, if I cover the existence of Marianne running, I am accused of shilling for Marianne. I don't know how we can shill for someone you haven't actually said that you think people should vote for. <laughs> yeah. I disagree <laughs> like, with that. If that's how people want to frame it with you. I yeah. So that issue, it kind of came up on the podcast, but I didn't want to say anything that would be, so that would make me getting, get accused of trying to fundraise for Marianne. So I, I, I have similar questions about okay. how fundraising is going and what kind of resources they need to do what Bernie did and more. But well, I was a little light on those questions, I want to be honest, because I didn't want to say anything and get, get accused then of saying Brianna's trying to get us to give our money to Marianne. No, no, I, I, I can sympathize with that. I, I get what you're saying. Um, it, it's just I've, I've worked with campaigns before down in Louisiana, and I've seen this where you got these two types of progressive candidates, okay, let alone the whole rainbow types of uh all shades of Democrats that run, but just progressive types is what I'm talking about. You have Mm -hmm. those that will just run, you know, to get attention, to put their name out there and that's it. Like they have no concept of what's their get out the vote strategy. What's the vote target they have? How are they going to segregate and figure out these are the people you target first. These are people you target second. This is how you're going to get turn out the vote in these districts. Like there's a whole there are those types, and then there are those that just run just to get attention. Yeah. So, and they're both progressives. They both have the same values. It's just one of them's really thought it out and built a whole strategy. The other one is more um, getting attention, and they feel like as long as people are aware of it, then they'll be aware of it to go vote, you know, yeah. that, that, which is not really I, – I guess I'm just used to being more quantitative instead of uh, – Oh no, I'm totally with you. So from okay. from what I could gather so far, um, from from these interviews, there is a strategic shift in South Carolina at very least to stop trying to focus on cities exclusively to understand that a significant portion of the vote, especially since both South Carolina and New Hampshire are open primary states, to work harder in rural counties. Um where there's one less competition, Clyburn types are less influential, and where a lot of votes still come from. Now, there are problems with doing that. There's, there are obstacles to doing that. It just takes more manpower and is more difficult, yes. which yes. is why I started asking those questions about, well, is this a funding issue as well? But largely, Mark Curious, who is the state director from South Carolina, was stressing that it's about getting into the state a lot earlier than Bernie did and mm-hmm. and, and starting to infiltrate Trace the best word, but to connect with local networks earlier and more substantively than Bernie did. My feeling, and Marcurius worked on Bernie 2020, my feeling is that there was a kind of acknowledgement or an acceptance that Bernie wasn't going to do well in the state and there was less investment there than what you saw in, say, Nevada. Nevada. Well, it was less relevant in their defense because it was the fourth state. You know, now it's the first state. And it's more relevant than ever because, to me, they're just rigging the thing for Biden's reelection or whoever they pick, whether it's Kamala or Buttigieg or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly steered towards establishment type candidates uh, instead of Iowa, New Hampshire or Nevada or whoever would have been the the next option. Uh, I feel like if they could just get out... uh, 
get their operations ready now and really target those voters in all those counties across the whole state. Don't ignore any counties and really get your name out there and really convince people this is the way that you can get health care. This is the way we can build a better country. Uh, people will really go for that. And instead of the kitchen table issues, because that's the beltway problem. Everyone thinks that uh, America just cares about inflation and jobs. And mm -hmm. that's not the case. America cares about uh, systemic changes that can improve their lives. That's why, you know, populism is popular now. And it's not always popular, but it still is. So people need to tap into that, you know. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I'm inclined to think that, you know, people people kind of roll their eyes sometimes at the uniformity <laughs> of Bernie's message, you know, the consistency of it, the the way his interviews are, from one point of view at least, kind of boring because he refuses to get off topic. Mm -hmm. um, I know it really frustrates journalists. But over time, I have come to appreciate that that is the most incredible skill yeah. because the average person is not watching 30 Bernie Sanders episodes, uh, uh, interviews rather, a year or 100 Bernie episodes, uh, interviews a year, the way that weirdos who, like us who podcast like listen to podcasts do. <laughs> exactly. You know, they're listening to, they might hear one. Yeah. And if you get overheard, you know, if the one that someone hears is you talking about some niche issue that doesn't matter to them, or mm -hmm. getting drawn into a debate about whether or not using memes with black people in them is digital blackface. <laughs> or one of yeah. these things that like I feel every day on the hill like Lord am I getting tricked into talking to stuff that honestly is diminishing my standing with an audience that really needs to hear me talk about other stuff you know what is the give and take of this dynamic here on this program like that's a daily struggle for me and Bernie you'll never hear Bernie Bernie doesn't know what meme is Bernie is not going to spell meme <laughs> you're not going to trick Bernie into yeah. that so I, I do think that there's, you know, I hope that Marianne is able to stick that landing and communicate those kinds of messages because I think that you're right. People want health care. People need a living wage. People have overwhelming housing concerns. I mean, there's an affordability crisis across the country. And if she's able to communicate and get that message to people who ordinarily aren't touched. And, and what Mark Curious was saying is that people in that in, in like less urban parts of South Carolina feel very politically ignored. But that Absolutely. could really mean a lot to folks. Absolutely. I've seen that too many damn times where whether it's swing states or in rural county, rural parishes and counties in Louisiana where, you know, they'll never see a politician, period. Mm -hmm. They'll never see one except for like their local uh, county clerk or something or some state rep. And that's it. They'll never see an actual candidate for statewide office or presidential office or federal office or whatever. They'll never see that. So when you actually show up, that might, that goes a long way for people like that. And, yeah. uh, and in fact, you brought up something important about Bernie's uh, sticking to the same subject over and over and over again and hammering it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's that's basic, you know, one on one for candidates, you know, message discipline. That mm -hmm. is what you're supposed to do. Message discipline. Stay on message. Don't veer off. Stay on message. So I hope uh, whoever's guiding marion williamson it's like all right these are your three topics don't stray for them you just hit these targets at every single interview every single tweet every single this hit them hit them hit them with these uh it's very standard you know this is how you get a campaign done that way anytime someone thinks of her 
that think of those issues because it always comes up. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I was thinking about this after that whole dust up with the view where they, you know, said all that crystal lady stuff and then she recorded a reply. Hmm. And I've been thinking about that reply and I don't think it was bad, but I was thinking about ways it might've been better, you know, ways that Marion could have responded because the view then ended up covering her reply. Right. And they mocked it. And I wonder if they would have been able to, mock it if it had been nothing but a pitch about the issues that you know working people care about exactly. so you know re- replying about and, and, and Miriam's right to be offended I think um, about the personal attacks and the nature of it and how kind of sexist it frankly was and I think that she's correct but I think that you can make fun of Marianne accusing you of sexism in a way that it's much harder to make fun of Marianne accusing you of being unwilling to talk about the issues that are of concern to the American people. And don't Americans deserve to have a Democratic primary in which somebody is talking about the kinds of health care issues and criminal justice issues that Joe Biden has abandoned, admittedly, frankly, abandoned completely? That was the most frustrating thing I remember hearing. This was years ago now, but um, I think it was like right after Biden won and he was on this conference call with like NAACP members or something. Mm-hmm. And he said something to the effect of, you know, I already won. Like mm-hmm. he won. Like he doesn't need to cater to them anymore. Yep. You know, and I'm just like, why does this happen all the damn time? that you have democratic groups who give up leverage that happens so many times whether it's they didn't do force the vote or mm-hmm. they allowed the two bills to be decoupled you know mm-hmm. for mansion i'm like over and over and over and over again they just give up leverage and my thing yep. is you have to use it you know well, speaking of, and I really enjoy talking to you thank you for calling in joshua but by the way what where are you calling in from what part of the country are you in I am from Louisiana, but I'm currently in West Virginia. I work at a bank, and I'm just, uh, you know, on the side trying to be a political operative. So. Well, nice. I, 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 I love to hear from a Southerner. I love to hear from people in West Virginia. I have a weird personal fascination with West Virginia. So you'll have to call in again and let us know what you're hearing in, in that state in particular. But to your last point before um, I let you go, mm-hmm. You know, I ended up having an interesting little Twitter back and forth with someone who whose tweets and content and activism and stuff I like. Her name is Olivia uh, Juliana. She's a director of politics and government affairs at Gen Z for Change. You know, I you know I I follow I follow her because I I appreciate what she has to say, but she did a thread about why she is um, anti Marianne Williamson's campaign today and. You know, I think that she was trying to be polite, and I, I have no personal animus whatsoever here. And I, maybe, hopefully, we can get a chance to talk head to head. But to your point, she wrote. Um, I'm starting like toward the bottom of her chain because it was long. I'm not going to read all of it. Um, she says she's a very intelligent lady. I'm not denying that, but she's posing these ideas that, frankly, she can't enact or create. I agree big money in politics is a problem. I agree the healthcare system in this country is deeply flawed and wealth inequality is an issue. But how is 
is she how is she to change that? What specific legislative, procedural and political things is she going to do? She has no experience in such a large executive position, nor the relationships to leverage to accomplish those things. I'm not saying you have to be a career politician to be POTUS, but having some career experience is necessary. If this was someone like Bernie or Warren, that would be one thing. But the skills and experience needed for long-term relationship building and negotiation are critical. Additionally, Biden has been the most progressive president we've ever had. Uh, the legis- <laughs> the uh, legislation he's passed is the culmination of decades of protest and negotiation from activists. With a slim majority and a hostile legislature, I'm content with what we've been able to accomplish. That is some weak sauce there. The <laughs> words I like to say. I'm sorry. Um, first of all, I just want to say, like, you know, Roosevelt, when he won in uh, 1932, and in the first hundred days, he passed historic legislation, so much so that every damn president to this day is judged by those first hundred days. Mm -hmm. He didn't campaign on any of that. Any of it. You don't have to campaign like that for a president. Your whole job is to be the spokesperson, is to be the leader, to be the visionary. Just like uh, you can have, you know, Steve Jobs at Apple. He didn't know how to build a circuit. He didn't know how to code. He was just a visionary, and you had a, a bunch of geniuses behind the curtain who no one ever knows their names, who actually built the iPhone, who actually built computers, who actually built those the technology. You just have to be the visionary. That's what the president's job is supposed to be. He doesn't draft legislation. And the fact that people treat it that way, it's like they'll hold her to that account, but they will not do that for Biden. They won't do that for Obama. They won't do that for anyone else. Yeah. And and I think some people I think who work for Marianne hopped in the mentions and very politely said, well, here is her policy page. I, I, I think that you're completely right. And it's also true. I think that she does have a policy agenda that mm. folks have presumed doesn't exist and aren't looking at. I think it's just as, fantastical for Bernie to announce X, Y, and Z as for Marianne. Ostensibly, if they were to win, they would have access to hiring the same policy teams of people to implement X, Y, and Z. And it's it's really a tell for folks to presume that because someone wasn't, I guess, a lawyer who then became a congressperson for a couple of years, a la Obama, that they magically are unable (laughs) to legislate or use good judgment or hire good staff and and do things like that. But I also had this fundamental issue with these folks who presume to be able to influence someone like Obama, uh, sorry, like Biden. And this is to your point about that um, NAACP call. Biden announced, I don't have to listen to you. I've already won and there's something that you can do to the extent that there's a constituency that I am beholden to. It's folks like Latinos who have demonstrated a willingness to vote for Republicans. But black people are going to vote for me no matter what. So I don't have to listen to y'all. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that's all. Might might as well have said exactly that. Yeah. And, and so I replied to Olivia, basically, <laughs> you know, saying, you know, if Biden, I said, if Biden can call from, if it's true that Biden is the most progressive president we've had, which it obviously isn't true, but yeah. that's an indictment of a politics that coerces the left into rejecting anyone remotely progressive under the guise of quote defeating fascism. If Biden can call for more cops, drill in the Arctic, enforce Trump's immigration policy, support authoritarian leaders in Saudi Arabia and Israel, and get your vote, you're part of the fascism problem. The very least you could do if you're a genuine progressive is demand a competitive primary where someone runs to Biden's left. There's literally no excuse to come out guns blazing against democracy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. And then she says, well, you know, 
I didn't say we shouldn't be demanding more. And I replied, okay, then why would, why would Biden listen to your demands if you've already publicly pledged to vote for him no matter what? What leverage do you have over him? Help me understand what you as an activist have in your back pocket to persuade Biden of anything. I don't know. I don't know what they're smoking. I mean, if you have <laughs> no one challenging him, then in his mind, he's like the caucus, the Democrats, they're happy with the work I'm doing. I don't need to change. That's right. what he's going to hear. But if he sees a serious surging campaign from Marianne or whoever it ends up being, but let's say it's Marianne, mm-hmm. then he's going to be like, well, shit, I need to pivot to the left, not not the center. Right. You know? And, and this came up on the center, you know. Yeah, and this came up on Thursday's episode with um, David Wallace Wells talking about the environment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was he was more optimistic than I was. Maybe optimism isn't is too strong a word to describe how he felt, but he was less cynical than I was about Biden or the Democrats' real commitment to any climate policy. And he was saying, well, Biden did adopt a stronger position on these issues and did make larger climate commitments than anyone in history. Uh, you know, <laughs> over the past two years. And I said, well, uh, even, that, that, that may be true. As inadequate as they are on paper, that is true. But that's what Biden did after he made commitments after a very competitive primary. Yes. This time, there's no competitive primary. So again, what, what influence is there on Biden? What incentive does Biden have to not be worse? Than he was in 2020. <laughs> there is none. I mean, if anything, Biden's literally going to have a better argument this time around where he's going to be like, look, it's either me or Trump or this other crazy guy in Florida. Like, that's basically his argument for the yeah. campaign. It'd be like, stay the course, people, or else you'll end up back in hell before I got here. Like, that's going to be his campaign. I could see it happening now. Uh, whether it ends up being him or not. I mean, it looks like it's going to be him, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, it, now I'm not rooting for the Democrats, but if I were, if I were, <laughs> if I were the head of the DNC, I would, I would be trying to keep Biden because what's the alternative? I mean, it, I've seen there's a split with his donors. They're pretty torn between him, Pete Buttigieg, and Kamala, but I don't think that would even work <laughs> because Pete certainly has a bad reputation now with whether it's the Southwest or this uh, East Palestine issue, Palestine issue. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, Kamala Harris is more unpopular than he is, which is pretty rare for a vice president. But hey, so it's like there's no clear alternative. So they're just like, all right, let's just keep pushing this guy to reelection. Uh, yes, I and- would. I would do anything possible. I would I would pull up. I would pull a men in black. And wear Biden like a skin suit, if that's what it took. Because if Kamala and Pete Buttigieg are our options, Pete Buttigieg now with the scarlet P on his chest for East Palestine, yeah, and Kamala Harris being, God bless her, just not where she needs to be to make the best of her life. Yeah, Like, bless her heart. I have no ill will toward Kamala Harris. She seems like she's probably a very lovely lady outside of the context that she is currently in professionally. But, oh, my God, <laughs> she should not be vice president and she should not be a prosecutor. Yeah. Yeah. When you're against body cams in 2015, <laughs> when I found that out, I was like, no, 
nah, my friend told me that. I was like, nah, you wrong about that. I'm going to Google this shit. So I Googled it. I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what's wrong with her? Mm-hmm. Uh, so after after I saw Biden's um, State of the Union performance, I I had a kind of Jesus moment where I was like, if my priority were solely beating Trump and the survival of the Democratic Party, which to be very clear, it is not. But if that were my priority and I were a Democrat, I would be... I would be consulting every gerontologist in the world to put <laughs> Biden on the best program of vitamin B shots there and <laughs> the blood of small children, <laughs> whatever else, to Harvest keep this man going. <laughs> just keep it, keep it going. Keep him going for another <laughs> – just just to make it to the finish line. Just make it to the finish line that he, he's sworn in. Then then whatever happens. But just, just till then. <laughs> yeah, I, I see your point, but it's like there's a part of me that it, maybe this is just, I don't know, kind of the the little anarchist side of me that's wondering is I, I feel that every time we have this situation where we're voting for the lesser two evils, especially in this case where it's Biden clearly was, uh, when you had a better option like Bernie and we're just we're just settling and settling too much when we don't have to, you're creating this this imbalance in our culture and our system that creates Trumps and DeSantis's mm-hmm. because many times when, when I run into arguments here in West Virginia or wherever, it's, you know, people criticizing Biden for this or that. It's like, I mean, why do you assume I like this guy? Cause I didn't like Trump. Like that's the problem I'm trapped in. And I'm like, I don't like him either. Fuck. <laughs> you know? Oh, so you're, you're, you're saying that people, when you ask them why you, they like DeSantis are like, I don't really like either of them, but these are my options. Yeah, like some of them don't even care for Trump, but they'll vote for Trump over Biden because they hate mm-hmm. Biden. And I'm and they'll criticize Biden for this, like inflation or whatever it is. And I'm like, you know, I don't like Biden either. You know, he screwed up on this, he screwed up on that. But like, th- there's a reason why, in, in some cases, like, like there was a poll done in West Virginia. Like mm-hmm. you're saying West Virginia is interesting. There was a poll done in West Virginia that had these scenarios. It was either... Um, Jeb Bush versus Hillary, and then you had Trump versus Bernie. You had Jeb Bush versus Hillary, and Jeb Bush won by like 10 points, maybe 15. It was like 10 points. Mm -hmm. Then you had uh, Trump and Bernie, and it was uh, two points, Mm -hmm. and Bernie won. Now, Mm -hmm. to be fair, that was within the margin of error, so it pretty Mm -hmm. much was a tie. But that says a lot to me, Mm -hmm. because you have some places like West Virginia, and Louisiana and a few others that they're just very populist in general. Mm-hmm. So whoever can talk the populist tone is going to win people over who may have voted for Democrats before mm-hmm. or may have voted for Republicans before. It just depends on who it talks, who sounds like someone that cares about the people who sounds like a populist. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you can have faux populists out there like Trump. He's a damn good example of that, mm-hmm. uh, where he'll go to michigan and ohio and talk about why they closed down the factories you know but you don't see hillary going up there you don't see biden going up there like that's the problem and now you have the situation where you know biden's only focusing on the social aspects that he was bothered by trump and uh, the far right or whatever and he's not talking about the populism that led to people trying to seek for something different because it makes sense because Biden's an establishment guy. He's not going to go after those things because if he does, he's going after his donors. 
Yeah, I think I think that's right. I remember I don't know if it was exactly that poll, but I do remember some interesting Bernie beats Trump polls and mm-hmm. of course Bernie doing so well um in the West Virginia primary in twenty sixteen. Oh yeah. He won and, every single county in yep. West Virginia. Every yeah. single one. So I mean those the fact that that dim that liberals claim that they care most about defeating fascism or even uh-huh. people like Olivia, who I don't think, you know, isn't, I don't think she's a liberal. I think she's a progressive and, you know, identifies as a leftist probably, but is still falling into this kind of vote blue, no matter who trap. I mean, that's why I'm so skeptical of it because when we saw evidence that it was actually Bernie that was going to have a better chance against Donald Trump. And we warned about the eventual outcome in 2016, you know, mm-hmm. Nathan Robinson writing that, that article that was so prescient and uh, about how exactly how and why someone like Trump could beat someone like Hillary, that he was her perfect. She was his perfect foil. You know, liberals ignored it. They obviously didn't really care. There was so much evidence pointing to the outcome of 2016 being Trump beat Hillary, and they didn't actually care. They cared more about defeating Bernie than they did actually about defeating so-called fascism. So that that's where I am right now. That's why I guess I, I I came at you with a little bit of skepticism in the beginning there, uh, Joshua, because I do some I am a little on guard for folks. Look, you, there's a lot of good reasons to be skeptical of Marianne or any kind of outsider insurgent campaign. People want to know, I think, emotionally why they should invest in something that has a long shot. I totally mm-hmm. get that, but for primary dynamics, when there's literally nobody else in the primary, yeah. To me, it's like it's a really simple equation. Now, if someone else comes into the primary, like it's a it's a completely different dynamic. But when there's when it's Biden, Marianne, or nothing, it's a no brainer to me. It's Marianne. You're right. It's a no brainer because I always think back to that quote from Walter Benjamin, Mm -hmm. where he said, "Behind every fascist regime is a failed revolution," Mm -hmm. and that haunts me. That's haunted me for years since I've heard that. And I can look back in history at um, too many cases where you had a far right wing totalitarian regime or far right wing government show up. And it's all because some center left government before it failed. It always happens. And I'm worried we're going down that path if we don't get off it. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that for sure, Joshua. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling out. I hope to hear from you again soon. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Brian. Keep going. Keep the faith, my friend. All right, let's go to Wraith. Wraith, what's on your mind tonight? You with us, Wraith? FYI, for those who are new here, I do one from the front and then one random selection from the queue to keep it interesting. So look alive. Just because they're in the back of the queue doesn't mean I'm not going to get to you. Yeah, you got me this time. I was not (laughs) expecting it. No worries. Um, What's on your mind tonight? Yeah, I, I watched it today, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I doubt she's going to win, but you know what I'm saying? Anything anything is better than nothing at all. I'm, I'm tired of sitting elections out. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to have to jump on the bandwagon with Marianne. She wasn't my first choice, but... Uh, Let me ask you this, Ray. Is there somebody who in a dream world, if you could do a draft X campaign, who would you like to see running? Um. Honestly, um, it's it's really like a mixed bag for me. Like I was really like I was a big Yang supporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was talking about the whole um, our data being for sale and how we should be getting a cut of that, 
like it, it's kind of mind-boggling like if i uh i i feel like my phone be listening to me on the low like if i say something <laughs> about an apple pie then all of a sudden i start getting like ads for cookbooks and even <laughs> Even my my YouTube ads change and yeah, like stuff like that bothers me. Like I feel like I'm paying for the internet, I'm paying for the data. I should be getting a cut of it when you selling my information off. So mm-hmm. like when he mentioned that, like I was like, yo, I can get with this dude. Like he all right. Mm-hmm. But like I mean, running out is strange, you know. I, I'm still keeping faith that you know it's gonna be a great 2024. But you know. Yeah. So a couple of things. One, I would say I see someone in the comments saying, you know, voting Green Party isn't sitting it out. Of course it's not. I I don't I don't know how many times I have to say this. I have voted green the last two election cycles and I have I have argued with and shouted down and castigated people who have come on the podcast and accused people of sitting out elections when they simply want to not invest in electoral politics or want to invest in third party campaigns instead of democratic campaigns. Of course, that's true. Also, however, there is a democratic primary that we all have the right to vote in, in which no green party people will be participating. Right. Right. That is the point. Like, unless you're registered green, which I was, I was not in New York because you were locked out of the primary, and I felt like that was giving out, giving up too many opportunities to pick the actual candidate. But you, 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 <laughs> you have a choice to vote in a Democratic primary, and I don't know what's going on with the Green Party. I don't know what their primary process is like. I don't know if they're going to have one. It seems to me like they usually just pick, basically pick somebody, and then you vote for them in the general, which I fully respect. And appreciate people doing. I did it the last two cycles. But the question still remains. Your options in the Democratic primary are to not participate in it, which God bless. Do what you're going to do. Knock your socks off. Or to at least get to pick who, which of the candidates goes forward into the general election. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like If I remember correctly, because I'm down here in Georgia, I remember getting a... Um, a mail-in ballot and I was looking at it and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to let this go. And this was um, tw- uh, the 2020 election. Like when I looked at the ballot, like straight up and down, either you had a D or an R beside your name, there was mm-hmm. no other option. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Like I'm going to have to check next year, but I don't even think it gave you like a, a, a option to like even write somebody in. Like you just had to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. It, I, I feel the same way. Now, one of the things I thought was so interesting about this episode was the fact of New Hampshire and South Carolina being open primary states. And, and one thing I asked about, but they didn't get too much into was what kind of voter outreach is being done to try to touch Republican, independent and non-voters. Cause I do think that for a candidate like Marianne, there's a lot of potential there. I know everyone says this, but I have witnessed it firsthand, and I believe it to be true, that even people who are deeply skeptical of Marianne, once they talk to her, are convinced of her seriousness, even if they don't like love everything that she stands for, are convinced of her seriousness in a way that they might have been dismissive of before. And are there's like I've seen I've personally witnessed like very radical changes in people's orientation to her after one first person meeting. Now my my problem is, and this is what I said to Mercurius, how do you get Marianne's just one human? How do you get her in front of millions of South Carolinians 
in a way that can actually move the needle, that's a challenge. But I do, I do believe in her ability to convince people. It's just this like access uh, platform issue, which I think is part of why I think, I think the Democrats know that that's part of why they went her off the debate stage. And that's part of why there's this campaign to, you know, delegitimize her in the media. Right, because I feel like she needs to start, like, I mean, she just announced, like, I feel like South Carolina is, like, ground zero for her. Like, she needs to hit the ground running now, like, just campaigning and talking to people, like, who, who, whatever type of rally she can set up or some town hall or community meeting, whatever. Like, she just needs to start doing something in South Carolina, because, like, you already don't have the name recognition. And people that's, like, really not into politics like that don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are like political addicts who just consume this stuff daily. And it's like, oh, she running. Hell yeah, I'm with it. I, don't, I ain't too fond of her foreign policy, but domestically she all right, so I can give her a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a lot of folks. And I, I saw um, I saw Sabby cover uh Marianne's interview with Glenn. I watched most of that and Sabi observed that there seemed to be some changes in how Marianne is talking about foreign policy issues, perhaps as a consequence of the interview she had with RBN or some other interview she's had since then. And, you know, some people are going to take that as a bad thing and that she's kind of flip-flopping or they might not trust her position, which I understand. Other people will take that as a good thing that she is taking the feedback that she's getting from the community that she hopes to appeal to and changing her language. And some people are going to say, well, that's good, but it's not far enough. Like I take, I take all of that. I take all of those points. Um, but it is interesting to me that I, I, it sounds to me like she's heading in the, in a writer direction in a, in a better direction. And that is at least, that is another thing that we have not seen. <laughs> From Joe Biden, we've seen quite the opposite, where he just like will look you dead in the eye and say, "No, we're going to do more cops." Actually, uh, George Floyd protesters, and you're going to like it. <laughs> right? Because even my brother had texted me about her. And he's only twenty, well, twenty-one now, and he was like, "What do you think of Marianne Williamson?" I'm like, "I mean, I like her domestically, foreign policy. I don't know. I'm not really interested in that blank check." But then I saw the same um, coverage that Savvy did. Mm-hmm. Uh, what she was interviewed, and I was like, okay, she kind of switched her tone a little bit. Mm-hmm. She might be all right, cause like my brother is just like up in arms over this whole banning TikTok thing. And I'm like, you seriously? As much as you bitching moan to me about climate and all of that, you concerned about that and not what's going on in the Arctic? I'm gonna need you to get your priorities together, sir. So what? What is your? What's your brother's TikTok take? Oh. Uh, he don't appreciate it. like I don't I don't even think it's like a big deal for him as far as like uh China allegedly or maybe they have access to our data. I don't really think it's that part that concerns him. It's just the fact that they're trying to get rid of it and so mm-hmm. many people use it. And I mean yeah. personally, I'm just like, eh, I I just I don't care. Like we don't we don't really uh like, we don't go after other companies. Like, from my understanding, they say Spotify is originally in Sweden. Like, we, mm-hmm. we don't go after other apps about stuff like that. So, what is the interest mm-hmm. over TikTok? And it's like, what type of information can you really gain from uh, TikTok when most of the elites in this country is on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with that 100%. 
purely, I mean, I personally am against a TikTok ban, but even if I weren't, like, I don't, I don't want to say it like that, but like, apart from, separate and apart from me being against it personally for substantive reasons, for like political reasons, I would also be against it. Like, if I were Marianne, I would say, I would take a, I agree with the commenter who says that I would take a strong position against a TikTok ban. When, when that, um, hot take, kind of adorable, CEO of TikTok came to testify before Congress. Um, Chu is his last name, I believe. He his his first pitch before the hearing uh, mentioned that 150 million Americans are on TikTok, and I was like, "Hot damn! Like half the country is on TikTok. Way more people than are on Twitter." And politically, the idea of going, you know, supporting a TikTok ban is just kind of crazy, especially since the litmus test is only, uh, I don't like China. China scares me. And I, and I don't want to like belittle the extent to which like China is a political adversary, an economic adversary against the United States of America. And I guess there are, there are strategic considerations that don't exist with a country like Sweden, but the hearings went way into a weird kind of xenophobia um, that was untethered from any kind of reality. And to the extent that the TikTok guy was like, hey, okay, well, do you want to keep the data in America? Do you want to put these privacy protections in place? Like, what do you want? No one was interested in that. They just had this idea that like the CCP was this all-knowing pervasive force that could reach through your Wi-Fi and touch your children's brain while they slept. And it was, it was bizarre and kind of racist and right. like, insane. I think my, the only I think the only reason I'm against the TikTok pan is because both parties are for it. Like I don't like when y'all <laughs> interests align. I got a problem with it. Like seriously. Like yeah. uh, what's in it for y'all exactly? Because no. Like and then like with Marianne running, like I mean I'm gonna give her a chance regardless because like biting them fell through because like every time I log into my Great Lakes, my student loans are still sitting there all thirty thousand, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna need that to get counseled. You can bail out S what what is it S S F B S B B whatever. Mm-hmm. You can bail that bank out. Well, my student loans are still sitting there. We got problems, okay? Because mm-hmm. that could have worked itself out. My student loans is not gonna work itself out. I'm gonna need for them to counsel that twenty thousand. Give me hope that I can pay that other ten grand back. Yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. A hundred percent. It's so funny because Biden did such good messaging, surprisingly so, around um, student loan cancellation as contrasted with the PPP loans. And you're totally right. Like the SVV bailout was an opportunity for him to hit that again. Like, you know, all these conservatives are supportive. I mean, it was a mixed bag. You know, it wasn't just conservatives being for it and liberals against it. It was very, very mixed bag. But all of these corporate types are for this SVB bailout, but are doing moral hazard arguments against student debt cancellation. That's how I know that Biden wasn't really in it. <laughs> like he didn't really give a damn when he was saying how unethical it was to support PPP loans, but not student debt cancellation. Cause he was silent as a mouse around the SVB bailout versus the student debt cancellation. So I, I'm entirely with you. And I, I hope, I, I would hope that Marianne hits that point. I don't work for Marianne, <laughs> but I know that some people in the chat do. I see Jason and stuff in the in the chat, and that is, uh, you know, something that I would, I I think would be a good idea for her. But you know, what do I know? Because like I talk to a lot of people that I work with, and I'd be like, what, what y'all doing? What y'all doing politically when the next election roll around? And like a lot of them, like I mean, they be black people too. Like, damn, they I'm going back to Trump. Like, my money was right when he was around. 
I don't got mm-hmm. time for what Biden's doing in office. Like my check getting smaller, taxes is eating my ass up. Like I don't got time for that. Mm-hmm. So I'll take Trump back. Like I'm like, damn, that's that's a little rough. Like mm-hmm. this. So Yeah. I look, I, I understand that. People can say that that's not rational all day and night, but you have to contend with people's visceral material experiences All right, and, and if democrats don't want people saying stuff like that they should be working harder to give people checks and cancel their student debt so like i look at people on twitter all the time first thing i say bro we do not need trump back in office like how could you vote for trump do my material conditions not matter like i don't mean no harm under trump i was able to buy two houses with reasonable mm-hmm. interest rates interest rates for a house now is matching my student loans and that's a problem mm-hmm mm-hmm no, I, I beyond empathize. I, <laughs> I get it very viscerally. <laughs> so I'm with you, Ray. Well, thank, thank you so much for calling in. I really enjoyed talking to you. No problem. You keep the faith. Keep the faith, my friend. Good night. All right, Bert, what's on your mind this evening? Oh, shit. Did I fuck up? And No, you're here, Bert. You're doing great. Uh, I messed up. No, Bert, you didn't mess up. Oh, Bert. you can hear me. Okay, loud and sorry. clear, Bert. Yeah, it's a crazy. Yeah, I'm having a crazy time at the house. Yeah. My wife just got some bad medical news. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm feeling a little. Oh, I'm I'm a 60 year old bike messenger with bad knees and a hernia. Oh. It's a rough time. <laughs> Bert, Bert, what's going on? What? Oh, um, Marianne, I, I'll, I'll say this for her. I. What, what impressed me, um, um, what impressed me about her and the, the debates in 2020, the one thing that caught my ear was when she brought up Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras as the three, like, conduits for um, refugees, and these were all due to American foreign policy, mm-hmm. you know, the death squads in Guatemala and El Salvador, overthrows of governments in Honduras, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So on that point, you know, I, I, I give her props for that. And, um, I, I but I'm, my mind's a little scattered right now. So that, that's basically, you know, Marianne, certainly a miles ahead of Joe Biden, but, um, Oh, Oh, is Chris Smalls 35 yet? <laughs> Uh, that would be so. my. That would be somebody, somebody like that. Yeah. Who I would advocate for. Who I would talk to him do. about, you know, the possibility of running. And also, I mean, the thing is, I, I like, I love the idea of having more constructive conversations. Like, who do we want to run, right? As opposed to just talking endlessly about how much we don't like our options. It's like, okay, like I, I respect if people have political differences with Marianne, and they, she's not the ideal candidate. But you also have to, you know, be willing to put in the work to try to draft someone and get financial backing for the alternative for that person to run, right? Yes. Some, somebody who, in the words of John Lennon, is a um, working class hero. Yeah. That, like, I wonder if I'm, people... That's what I'm looking for. I, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if he's ever considered, seriously considered it and whether or not there have been kind of... Um, organized left institutions that would rally behind him and start to try to put together a campaign for him because I mean, it's obviously an enormous undertaking financially and otherwise. And I wonder, you know, I wonder how much 
I wonder how much a kind of a draft Chris Smalls campaign could uh, could generate. How much excitement could generate? Yeah. Well, I, think, I mean, also just know, like again, money. not not specifically him, but he's the first person that came to mind. I, th- I think that's a really good name, but like, I, I really don't mean enthusiasm. I want you guys to be really serious for a second. I'm talking about money. How much money? I, I don't want to be crude. But without but the enthusiasm, you don't draw the dollars. Well, well, sure. But I, I want to be more specific. Enthusiasm for the purpose of money. Cause y'all will be like, I want so-and-so to run. And then you'll be like, I'm like, okay, with what money? Like Republicans have millionaires running, you know, like Bloomberg's running. Chris Maul's a guy that's trying to eat who didn't have a salary for years because he was fired. That's the whole reason of him being out here protesting. You know, when I was interviewing him, whatever that was like a year ago, who was not employed and who was getting by based on I don't even know what, you know. So I, I just I want like it's 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 a huge a huge undertaking. And if people are serious, then we should all the time that's spent complaining about Marianne could be spent generating money for a draft X person campaign, which I would very much support and give a platform to, you know, depending on who the person was. But that this is why I tried to have this conversation last summer with folks about who they would want in the alternative. And they couldn't stop talking about how much they hated Marianne to do something constructive. And now here we are. And they're mad that we're talking about Marianne, but there's no one else running. And that's partly because there was too much attention paid to being kind of spreading haterade instead of constructively saying, okay, if Marianne has these flaws, legit, how do we tr- create a different reality six months for, so that six months from now we could be talking about a different kind of candidate? So, you know, I'd be interested if someone has successfully done a draft X campaign, the people who were involved in like maybe the draft Warren campaign or whatever, I would like to know what that took. And to see if there's been any sit down conversations with prospective candidates like, you know, Chris Malls or Matthew Ho or whomever else excites people. Because, I mean, it's not too late. In case, you know, if it's who do you think is going to be the person who spoils it for Marianne Williams? And who are they going to draft? Like if she runs, Mm. they're not going to let Biden, Marianne go head to head on on a debate stage. That's not going to happen. They are going to draft somebody to undercut her. Well, partly, I, well, I don't think the Dems need to draft anybody to undercut her. I, I do think that in some ways it, it, it would annoy Democrats. It would, it would help Marianne if another Democratic centrist ran. No, it won't be a centrist. Then, They're going to have somebody that who uh, maybe Elizabeth Warren again. I don't know. Somebody uh, well, uh, and. Well, there you also have the gender thing where well, she no. undercut well, her what, what I'm trying to say is I think it helps Marianne for another Democratic interest to win because right now they're able to say we're not going to have debates. We're not going to oh, do stuff. Oh, by the way, there's no such thing as a Democratic centrist. Uh, stop using the word centrist when you're talking about Joe Biden or any of these other corporate Okay, but I just am trying to – I'm just trying to put a bow on this point here. I know. I, I'm just trying to say if I could just finish this point. Yeah, uh, the re- it would help. It would help Marianne to go ahead and have another, you know, Democrat run, mainstream Democrat run, because it would be more difficult for them to not have a debate and to completely shut down the primary process if someone like mm. Cory Booker or Beto O'Rourke or whatever was in the race. Suddenly, that it's a lot easier to pretend that Marianne is so unserious that you don't have to have a primary um, than someone like Beto. And I do think that someone like Beto or Cory or whatever isn't a real threat to Marianne. So I think that's kind of like a best case scenario for her, to be honest. Hmm. Well, it's a different take. I, I just thought it would go the other way where 
if they did let her into primaries, they would try to have somebody to the left of Biden, um, significantly to the left of Biden, to run in the primary, running really against Marianne Williamson to, to take out whatever support she may have from the left and split the left vote and the um, mainstream Democrats can cruise to victory. But I mean, I, I don't think that they feel like Marianne is such a threat that that's necessary, to be honest. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I may say this with all respect. <laughs> I think as long as Marianne is polling at, you know, 1% or so, they're not going to feel the need, obviously, to run someone else to split Marianne vote. The, the odds would be that they would be splitting off the Biden vote. But didn't Bernie run at like 1% when he first, um, in 2016? He, his, like he polled really, really low to start with. It was a slow burn for him, no pun intended, for him to actually gain that kind of momentum where he was actually a threat. Let's see, March 2nd, 2016. So that would be a year from now um, in contemporary terms. Bernie was polling at, uh, where is this? March 2nd, 2015 or 16? 2016. So it would be a year from now. Um, Sanders, who enjoys, this is from a CNN politics article. Who, Sanders, who enjoys the most positive, favorable rating of any presidential candidate in the field, according to the poll, tops all three Republicans by wide margins. Uh... Sanders fares better than Clinton in each matchup among men, younger voters, and independents. So now that's a year from now. So let me see if I can find something from 2015. So, so the, to be but to be clear, by the beginning of 2016, Bernie Sanders was outpacing Clinton in some polls. Okay, September 10th, 2015, Bernie Sanders takes the lead over Hillary Clinton in Iowa. When did he first announce his candidacy? I don't know. I'm sure the beginning of 2015, think, very end of 2014. Uh, let's see. Bernie. I think if you found that first poll, he was like running neck and neck with like Michael Malley or whoever the other dude was. He was in there with Hillary. But I mean, what does it matter? The point is that by like, like imagine a world where Marianne is polling ahead of Biden in Iowa by this coming September. That's a world in which I see Democratic Party trying to do some shenanigans. You tell, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to say anything disparaging. And I'm obviously hopeful for Marion's chances or whatever progressive candidate emerges. I'm rooting for them, obviously. But I, you know, do you, do you anticipate, Bern, you know, Marion being in the position that Bernie is in? That's, that's the framing I think that you should think about oh, wow. when you are trying to guess at what the Democratic Party might do. No, because I don't think that there there's as much there isn't as much animosity towards Biden as there was towards Clinton. Bernie announced May twenty sixth, two thousand and fifteen. Huh, I wonder what the first poll was. But anyway, yeah, we're getting that track. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to let you go because I've taken up too much of your time. You have a great night. And I will talk to you again, maybe sometime. Yeah, no worries at all. It's been nice chatting with you. Keep the faith, Bert. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, let's go to Afini. How are you doing, Afini? Long time no chat. I'm good. How are you, friend? I'm good. 
good. What's up? What's going on? What do you make of all of this? I see you. I saw somebody just retweet a clip of you at an anti-war protest. Was that recently or is that old? No, no, that was uh, on Thursday. We went and bothered Nancy from Lockheed Martin. Oh, tell me about that. Um, so uh, Code Pink has a campaign uh, called like Ground the F-35 because they're trying to like send a bunch of F-35s over to like occupied Palestine. Mm. And these are the same planes that they're using to like terrorize people, basically. So we I forgot what the lady's name is. Hold on. Let me pull it out the little program out. But her name is Nancy something. But she's like the CEO of government affairs. Mm. Um, for Lockheed Martin and so you know they had like some conference about how uh like basically women in military leadership or it's like that's feminist and like how proud they are to pave the way for women and so yeah we let them do their little speech keynote thing and then we just fucked up Nancy's panel Nancy's Mm -hmm. Zeusin anyway she's the worst and she was very, she was giving very much care and energy, but <laughs> I was excited to be there with Co Pink and with Olivia, especially. So, yeah. Okay. That's, um, I mean, that's great. It's great to see. I mean, given, Afini, that you have these much deserved, well earned bona fides in this space for doing exactly that kind of work and have had, I think, pointed, accurate, substantive criticisms of Marianne and her foreign policy position the way that so many other folks in this space have. What do you, what do you make of all of this? I mean, I actually just had an argument with a state delegate in Maryland um, about Marianne and her candidacy Mm. and like how people weren't taking her seriously. And I think that especially on the left, we just, we don't have much to work with. And in a primary uh, if we can take votes away from Biden, even if she doesn't win, if we can take votes away from Biden all the, on all those things to actually get some real concessions, then we should try that. Biden is probably going to lose to Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump anyway. Only I think you told I think you said like only 12 percent of the Democratic Party even wants him to run mm-hmm. to begin with. So it's just I mean, I definitely, as I said before, I need Marianne to move a little farther on her uh opinion on like Occupy Palestine and the relationship that we have with, um, you know, Israel, the government of Israel, Mm -hmm. Um, because she did. I did watch some of the interview that she did with Glenn and she did shift a little bit to the left on that um, when she was talking about it. And I think it's also because I don't know how many people were paying attention to this, but Bernie also said something similar to that, like how Israel was an apartheid state when he went on when, you know, he's on his little book tour now child on the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I, I think that the mix of some of the other potential like or like would want to be candidates for some people are kind of moving to the left. And also, like, she's got a lot of pushback from myself and a lot of other um, activists and just I mean, people on the Internet, really, about her positions on um, like like Israel, Palestine and a one state solution, um, a two state solution. I've seen her shift and I've said this before, like I really do think Marianne is movable, mm-hmm. um, at least from like the conversations that we've had with her. And, like the one time that I did get to spend time with her that like we were all together. Mm-hmm. I think she's movable and I think it's kind of I think it's worth doing something because Biden is old as shit. So he's going to fuck up as much shit as he can on his way out because he's racist. And he's a corporatist. We've known that he's the what is it? The senator from NBNA. Mm-hmm. Like he's. <laughs> He's always been very corporate leaning. So 
if we have a chance to kind of move him out of the way and have somebody who can fill the left space to talk about like these financial issues that a lot of Trump supporters or people that would vote for for Ron DeSantis do care about, a lot of working class people do care about um, that would that are going to vote for Trump or vote for whoever is on the right just because what you guys were saying earlier about the socioeconomic like situation just not being there. We need to have a conversation that is steered by the left. And I understand everybody's frustrated. Like, I'm not saying donate to her. I'm definitely not going to. I didn't even donate to Michaela and I worked on her campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, don't, don't donate to her if you don't want to. But I think that it's a better shot to at least try because motherfuckers is not getting outside and doing the shit that I'm doing. Like, they're just not. Mm-hmm. If everybody was outside fucking shit up and acting, and acting like they acting in France, then I would say that's what we need to be doing. But at this point, harm like we got to reduce the harm. We got to do meaningful shit because if we don't do anything but complain on the internet, we're literally going to be like all die in nuclear fucking proliferation or something. I don't know. Whatever the worst case scenario is of us just sitting back and doing nothing, that's what it's going to be. So, I I mean, clearly I'm not on that. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit back and do not do shit. And I hope that there's a lot of other people that are frustrated that are going to put their energy into something. So I don't give a fuck what it is. Put it mm-hmm. into something. Other the way people. I am French in my head these days, the way I'm talking about, let me mm. get my Duolingo back out and remember what I learned in high school. <laughs> <laughs> the way I am like, uh, I'm going to be in the room. <laughs> You know, shouting my shit. Like, I am so inspired by the ferocity. They're out here dumping garbage trucks full of trash as people are sitting there in that cafe completely unbothered. I, I told this story before, but when I was, I was in France last summer for a wedding, and they were in the middle of a transit strike at the time. And I'll never forget, like, the complete blasé cool of the, ca- of the Uber driver taking us from the, from the train station uh, from the airport, rather. And he was like, sorry, it's mad traffic. This is in French, obviously. He's like, sorry, it's mad traffic. And Uber dra- Ubers are, like, mad expensive right now. But there's a strike, and it is what it is. And he wasn't, like, mad. He wasn't like, oh, this traffic sucks. It's like, oh, it's, hurt. it's hurting my ability to commute. These people are striking for no reason. He was like, yep, it's going to be mad inconvenient for you. C'est la vie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, that, and here's the thing, like, a lot of people push back and say all, say all the shit, talk, talk as much shit as you want to talk. The people that think the way that we do, we are a smaller minority than we think we are. At the end of the day, I'm an organizer. I'm about movement building. I'm not about to sit up here and not meet some people where they're at, because we have to build a movement. We have to build something. We do not have enough motherfuckers that is willing to do the shit that needs to be done. And if you're not willing yeah. to go and meet people where they're at, and have those conversations and educate people, then we're literally never going to get anywhere. Like, it's yeah. not even about, like, you know, saying that we should support the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, the Republican Party, they all fucking suck. I think we should burn all this shit to the fucking ground. If it was my choice, we'd all be at the range. That's where I'm at. I'd be at the range. Y'all niggas are not at the range, though. So that's the part. That's the problem. So until, my, until y'all get on that revolutionary shit for real, we're going to have to be doing something something anything choose something pick that shit up and 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 do it and do it well because all of us just complaining and fighting within ourselves what they doing that 
these motherfuckers is really organizing across like the right is organizing across the country they are not yeah. only getting ready for electoral shit they're getting ready for civil fucking war okay <laughs> yeah it is interesting to me i mean it does feel like as much as there's an accusation that um left media is invested in the marianne campaign because it gives us something to talk about i mean i can't speak for anybody else but if i open if i open bad faith patreon and I go back through all of the episodes. I, I okay. So obviously this episode was a Marion episode. The last one was about the environment. The one before that was about the wokeness stuff. The one before that was an interview with Ro Khanna. The one before that was an interview with Matt Taibbi. The one before that was an interview about student debt cancellation in the Supreme Court. The one before that was about Christian Parenti and FBI abolition then i talked to my corporate law professor and then i talked to nathan robinson about how to defeat the right and then i talked to Marianne, um what's her face uh, stephanie kelton about uh inflation i mean like i'm not talking about marianne <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I are, like that's the that's the point like, are whether y'all want to admit it or not but the, but the irony <laughs> is that it's the people who hate her the most that seem to me i'm not accusing anybody of having a grift like i don't do that but like it is ironic to me that the people who are talking about her the most are the people who dislike her the most. And it's like if y'all stop talking about her, she would largely disappear from from the left media. <laughs> but if I mention her a single time, or she comes up on rising because it's news, like presidential candidates are news, we report on things that are happening. That everyone accused me because me being upset. I'm like, I'm not the one that's like pressed about this, guys. I don't know. What do you make of all of that? I mean, I Here's the thing. I've always said it. I've always going to continue to say it. Focus on whatever the hell you want to focus on. Me, I organize in Prince George's County, Maryland. Mm-hmm. I'm going to meet those people where they're at in Prince, Prince George's County, Maryland. Do I organize with an abolitionist organization? Absolutely. Because that's that's where my values are. But I'm also like, I don't I don't know. Like, I think a lot of us are so frustrated that we're not realizing that we have to do something. If y'all want to support a third fucking party, then do that. Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, or complaining on the internet all day, calling people bitches and all that shit is not going to get Ooh. nobody anywhere. Who's like, calling just, people bitches? Bitches, I'm name names. Saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that shit is not going to get anybody anywhere. And again, while we all fighting over here, the Libertarian Party, the Republican Party, all them up, they are all in lockstep on certain fucking agenda issues that uh, agenda items that matter to them. So if revolution matters to you, then get your ass in a range, then get your ass in self-defense, then get your ass in security. Then if, if making any progress, if you have any type of legislative, anything in your bones, work on the local level. Like I do. It's like, I don't understand, but am Mm -hmm. I going to sit up here and fucking sit back and say that if we have a chance to get Biden out of the way, or at least, I don't fucking know, change the conversation amongst the people that we are trying to organize. Because even if Marianne doesn't get anywhere, if she can start to talk about reparations and all those things again, and she's the only person on that stage, if they actually let her debate, then I think that that is, it's a better positive than not. I mean, do I think she's going to be super revolutionary? Do I think her policies are that much different than a Bernie Sanders, for example? No. But are, is she leagues better than Joe Biden, Joseph Rod, Robinette Biden? Absolutely. Like, it does fuck? strike me. It does strike me as kind of odd that the left, large parts parts of the left that 
I consider myself to be a part of the section of the left, will like acknowledge that like Rand Paul can be good on COVID stuff or, you know, um, Marty Taylor Greene has read about wanting to abolish the FBI or that Josh Howley can be good on Yemen or, or, you know, like there are these areas. And then the other, the kind of the institutional left is always complaining that we'll give the right any credit on these issues and we push back, right? We're like, oh, we don't like these people. We don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene. We don't like, you know, Rand Paul or whatever, but like we can, we can give credit where credit's due. But weirdly, when it comes to Marianne, those exact same people will be like, you know, I don't like this aspect of her platform or her political beliefs or foreign policy, so I don't give a shit about anything else. Which I, like, again, to me, it's like completely consistent. Speak your truth about the things you disagree with and you think are wrong. And if that's a litmus test issue for you, let it be a litmus test issue. I'm not asking you to vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene just because I think that we should abolish the FBI. I get that. But also, like, let, like, I think it's a net positive for people I don't like to be saying things that I agree with. And to that end, I also think even if you believe that on balance you can't stomach voting for Marianne, it seems obvious to me that it's a net good for her to be out there talking about stuff that makes Joe Biden uncomfortable and highlights the extent to which he's not actually delivering for the American people. That's all. I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't, I, this just seems very easy and obvious to me. I don't, I don't get why that's an issue. Young folks don't fuck with him. Black folks don't fuck with him. Nobody fucks with this man. I don't like, so <laughs> what are y'all going to do? Exactly. Like, and if the punishment is let Ron DeSantis be president. Cool. I mean, I guess so. Is there like if Joe Biden versus Ron DeSantis, I mean, I, I think there are going to be, some cultural differences mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely if Ron DeSantis is a president but not everybody cares about that me personally as somebody who is a gay woman I care if Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. is president I mm-hmm. do I'm sorry like I have to it will literally affect my life if that is the case so I mean I think that the more the, t- the more time we spend I don't know actually organizing actually getting outside then maybe I'll have less shit to talk. But until I see motherfuckers outside with me, because I'd be outside all the time uh, while we talking all this shit, I don't be seeing, I don't be seeing motherfuckers outside though. I see them on Twitter. I see them on the YouTube streams. I see them everywhere else. But I like, I see them whenever a, a camera or some cloud is around. I need y'all outside when shit is real then. But until then, we're going to continue to have this fucking conversation. Like that's it. Until we get to the point where we are like France and we are fucking shit up, which mm-hmm. I would love and I advocate for every goddamn day. Until then, this is where we are. Period. Yeah. So what? What's yeah. up? The other thing is, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, th- I see people <laughs> in the comments also being like, "Well, you wouldn't feel this way, Brianna, if you know Marianne were anti-black and you're like allowing her to be anti-Palestinian." And I'm like, for one, Biden, Biden is fully anti-black, and y'all voted for him. I didn't, but lots of y'all did. So you sit with yourself and your soul on that one. Moreover, I, my my issue isn't that I deny any like the 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 validity of that critique, but like Bernie, Bernie wasn't great on a lot of these issues too, and no one had these. This is what I'm struggling with. Like, if you really have a principled stance that you you know will not support a Zionist, that the, these two state solution people are are you know disregarding palestinian civil rights and all of this like i fully 
appreciate that. But like, I am frankly skeptical that that's really your position because y'all loved Bernie and y'all loved Tulsi despite a bunch of messy stuff that she said. And it's crazy and inconsistent across the board. So if that's your position, I support it. You don't need to argue with me. Don't vote for her. I don't control your life. I don't vote for you. I'm not filling out your voter form. I don't know why you're arguing with me about it. Just sit quietly in your life and don't vote for her. I've never told any of you to vote for anybody. So God bless. I don't know why y'all are arguing with me in the comments. I'm not going to donate to Marianne Williamson. I can tell you that. First of all, I don't have, I don't have the money to donate to Marianne Williamson. Let's be clear. (laughs) I'm not donating to her. Just like I didn't, I didn't even donate to the own, the the candidate I worked for. So I'm not telling anybody to donate to shit. What I am telling you is you might want to tune into those debates. What I am telling you is you may like shit. You might want to go vote in the primary. If you don't want to go vote in general election, who gives a fuck? Like, yeah. Like, if we have the opportunity to change, a, even it's a marginal change, somebody who is actually movable and accessible, because if a motherfucker like me, who is really like in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, nobody for real, if I can text Marianne and have a cogent conversation with her about policy, then that means that she's probably a lot more accessible than Joe Biden or any of them other motherfuckers that y'all want to run will ever be and that's just the reality like i don't know do whatever the fuck y'all want to do if y'all want to fucking go out here and start fucking shit up and let me know what time i'll be there (laughs) you know what i'm saying until then though i'm gonna go ahead and organize for what is actually attainable and let's just like gotta be gotta keep it a stack niggas is hungry right now yeah (laughs) like that's the reality i appreciate you so much ifini like i look I, you know what I would love to see, not to put you in this position and you don't owe anybody anything and you don't have to say anything in response to this, but I sincerely and not in a, like, I hope someone dunks on somebody sort of way, but I sincerely would love to see you in conversation with like Sabby and Nick. Like I would love to see like that particular trio. Cause I think you could have a really productive conversation. Cause I think that all of you have um, earned really earned public trust in a meaningful way. You are respectful of each other. You have different temperaments, each different, unique, and valuable in reaching a different kind of population and can have a really useful debate about the utility of the Marianne campaign, like what it can offer, what it won't offer, what we can be doing at the same time, what you can be doing in the alternative. And I, for one, would really love to hear that. But, like, no pressure. Like, you don't have to weigh in on that. I'm not trying to put I mean, you on the spot. Here's the thing. I'm just saying. Me and Sabby are friends behind the scenes. I don't know about everybody else RBN because, you know, they don't really fucking talk to me like that. I know <laughs> I talk to Sabby on a regular basis. I have yeah. no problem talking to Sabby. Sabby knows how I feel. I've been very honest about it. Like, especially, like, my advocacy work. If you have any questions about what I support and who I advocate for, you can go look at it. I, all my yeah. work is public. Um, but, yeah, like. I have no issue with that. Um, and I'm also not here to fucking convince anybody to do anything. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is, is all this arguing that we doing is wasting a lot of motherfucking time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's wasting yeah. a lot of time, wasting a lot of energy on shit that in the grand scheme of things doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. I hear that, Afini. Well, uh, I, and you should come back on the podcast too. And I want to talk about whatever it is that you're up to activism wise. And I've been really looking for a good, um, some, some good, some good peace guests, some good anti-war guests from the left 
you know, we'll see what you guys think about Thursday's episode, which I just recorded today. But I, you know, it's it's difficult because some people who I think are from a more like um, think tanky sort of, even like lefty think tanky backgrounds, they feel like they don't want to speculate. And they don't, you know, they, they, they have a kind of a professional veneer to uphold that I, I don't think is entirely satisfying all the time. So anyway, we'll talk offline about potential opportunities for that and um, when you're free, generally speaking. But please okay. do take care of yourself, Afini. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Keep the faith. Thank you for all you do. Um, Aaron, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, am I in? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. How the app worked. <laughs> well, right on. Um, well, thanks for having me, first of all. And um, I'm calling because uh, I have sort of come around from being cautiously optimistic about Marianne to being, like, affirmatively pro. Oh, interesting. And, Why is that? Uh, because the, she brings a few things to the table that I don't see anyone else bringing to the table right now. Very specifically, I start, well, here's how, here's, here's sort of how I got here. I started thinking about Marianne and what I do and don't like about her, right? And one of the things that kind of bugs me personally about Marianne is that she's such a boomer, right? <laughs> what do you but mean by that? She, she has that sort of like hippie energy. I mean, the whole, I mean, frankly, it's a cliche, right? I almost hate to dignify it, but the whole crystal thing and all that sort of thing, the spirituality and the sort of hippie veneer that that kind of takes on, I think, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So not in some of the most like awful ways, you know, like the, you know, the really sort of pejorative ways. Anyway, the point is that's what I don't like about her, but that might actually be her secret weapon. Mm -hmm. Because When I take another look at Marianne, I say that is the center of the Democratic Party as far as who they've been pretending to be for the last 20 or 30 years. So if here's someone who shows up and actually is what they're claiming to be, and she's able to appeal to suburban white ladies, you know, the two um, people in the suburbs of Philadelphia that they were going to pick up for every one working class voter in Scranton they lost, right? Mm -hmm. If she appeals to that, if she taps into that, she's won. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I look, you know, I, it's something different, and I want to try something different. I like Bernie better. Bernie's more my taste. If you want to mm -hmm. say who I like, I like Dennis Kucinich, right? Mm -hmm. There are other people like that that I like. But Marianne she doesn't need to appeal to me. And she might be better equipped to appeal to the people she needs to appeal to by not appealing to someone like me in certain key ways. So I think maybe what I should do is sit back and see where that goes and maybe be ready to accept a win if a win comes my way. Yeah, look, I do think it's interesting. I mean, so I went to her announcement event in uh, Union Union Station, and my observation in the crowd was that it was very different from a Bernie crowd in ways that could be seen as bad and could be seen as good. They have their, you know, deficits and their advantages. And it was, you know, to your point, it was, it was young. It was, it appeared to be relatively queer, interestingly. It seemed yeah. relatively more affluent and more female than a Bernie crowd was my observation. I mean, Bernie crowds are also young and, pl and plenty female, but there were a lot of older, I mean, like, you know, older women as well as younger women. Um, and there were a lot of young, like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I don't know that people are gay from looking at them, but you know what I mean? There seemed right. like to be a young, cute hit like kids <laughs> around you know what i mean yeah. and um it was it, it was a kind of a 
a different slice of audience that, you know, Bernie struggled to appeal to this, like, yeah. kind of petit bourgeois community that really drove a lot of the press coverage. And as a consequence, you know, they were able to convince some folks to stay home and not to really trust Bernie. And so ultimately I don't, you can't win with those people alone. You still have to be able to tap into the Bernie audience. You still, the whole point of this is to be able to put together a working class coalition. But I also do see that there could be some potential advantages of someone like Marianne who could move in environments that Bernie found to be uncomfortable and that were hostile to him as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like of these sorts of environments that we're talking about, the one where she doesn't have the most, where she has the least sort of intuitive plausibility is around like the working class type issues, right? Because she's an author and she just doesn't come off that way. But if she can actually speak to those issues substantively, she won't necessarily need to, uh, you know, show up at the trappings and sort of the working class appeal that Bernie had in the same way, you know? And if she's able to appeal on charisma to people that Bernie doesn't appeal to, people I don't like, you know, that might be a good thing for all of us. Anyway, that's about the thrust of it right there. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, only time will tell. I, I will say that I do, I have experience, I have many like, you know, not many, but I know serious liberals, like serious people, you know, serious Democrats who don't take Marianne seriously, mm-hmm. or even leftists that I know who, you know, I have a friend who's a Bernie leftist, you know, who kind of rolled his eyes whenever I brought up Marianne. And then he met Marianne, and I was even surprised by how much he changed his mind. Now, he's not saying, like, rah, rah, Marianne's going to solve the world's problems. But he was like, yeah, I have to admit, I was very surprised by how informed she was, how smart she was, how knowledgeable she was, how serious she was, and how thoughtful, how thoughtful she thought about X, Y, and Z. And he admitted to basically having stereotyped her to a certain degree. And yeah. I, you know, I've just seen that a lot. That's all. Whether that like manifests in her actually having a broader electoral appeal or not remains to be seen. But I am intrigued by this weird quality that people who have had watched a speech or have had experiences with her have radically different perceptions than people who haven't. And I would, I would urge everybody to listen to her announcement speech. I don't really want to hear your opinion. I will say this. I don't really want to hear your opinion until you've on Marianne, until you've listened to her announcement speech. And then we can have a conversation. I'm not saying that you have to have the same opinion of the announcement speech as I have, but I want us to be speaking from the same point. And oh yeah, Natalie, I agree with you. Look at these YouTube comments. These YouTube comments are so positive under every Marianne video. It's the same that happened with Andrew Yang. And I said the same thing. Andrew Yang's people reached out to the intercept back in like 2018 when I first started working there, asked And I took it to Ryan and I was like, this is interesting to me because I am noticing that every time he comes up on a YouTube video, the comments are crazy. And Ryan was skeptical and thought he was a flash in the pan and like was like, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to write a profile on this guy. Like, why does he matter? And it turns out those YouTube comments were real. And the YouTube comments about Kamala Harris also were a good harbinger of how her political career was going to go, or at least how her electoral career was going to go. So it's not destiny, but it is something interesting to observe. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, destiny isn't that interesting, and neither is Vosh for that matter. <laughs> Stop. That guy's a tool. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow. he's, yeah. He, he's, he's as deep a thinker as Jordan Peterson. I'll give him that. That's <laughs> the second I said destiny, I knew someone was going to say something shady. <laughs> hey, I can't, I can't not take that bait. It's just. <laughs> Speaking of South Carolina, Uh what's Jesse Jackson doing these days? 
Um, that's a good question. My understanding is that his health wasn't great. Yeah, um, it was too. in decline. It was declining at the end of the Bernie campaign, uh, and I don't expect it's you know improved since then. I haven't really seen him in the public eye at all. Uh, so you know, I I suspect I mean, he's getting older, and I suspect he's just not in a position to be really campaigning much or saying much or offering his opinions, being in the public eye. Fair enough. Talk about someone I wish I could vote for, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure, Aaron. All right. Well, let us know if you have any other suggestions on, on dream candidates, and maybe we can get to get a dream candidate panel together. We have them on the podcast and ask whether they've ever considered it or would be open to, like, a draft, a draft Cornell West, a draft Chris Hedges, a draft whatever campaign. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to facilitate that. I actually found your show because I really appreciated how uh, you sort of push back a little bit on the doomerism, you know, and the sort of default, oh, well, we've just got to organize more as a counter to any suggestion that even appears like it has the possibility of being so. Yeah. I mean, it still, you know, continues to be an, an uphill battle. I, I've got to say, I say keep the faith to y'all, but I struggle with it myself. I'm sure you've heard. And sometimes even in the episode choices these days, it's not as clear to me. It's not as clear to me where to go from here. Um, you know, we've had Shama on fairly recently. I'm trying not to have the same people on every month, obviously, but it would be nice to talk to her and some other people in the, in the um, kind of movement space about next steps because I'm feeling a little aimless myself. I, I got to confess. And I have a temptation just to do a bunch of episodes about pop culture bullshit because <laughs> the real world is a little a little bleak right now. But um, I appreciate you saying that. All right, Aaron, take care of yourself and keep the faith. I think I called Aaron from the front of the aisle, so I'm going to go to the middle, but I might have messed up the order here. Turtle, what's on your mind tonight? Can you unmute yourself, Turtle? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. What's on your mind? Uh, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Um, I mean, I'm a little bit sick, so I've seen better, but like, uh, outside of it, I'm, I'm good. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk actually about what's happening in France right now. And, sure. um, yeah, you know, I, I'm in Paris. Um, so I've been participating to a protest and all that. I don't know if you really followed close, closely what happened. No, not closely. So you should definitely feel free to get into some detail here. Um, you kind of understand like the base of the basic situation about trying like, to raise the retirement age. Saying. Sorry, what? Trying to raise the retirement age. Yeah. It's about trying to raise the retirement age. Um, so the thing is, you know, back in like 2010, we were at like 60, um, mm. it already have been raised once. Uh, yeah, back in like 2010, 2011, I think to 62, um, that wasn't really popular, but that, that kind of passed. And right now, um, that's the second time that Macron is trying to actually like make like a new retirement, like pension reform. Um, the first one, like basically got passed, but did not got implemented because of COVID. Um, the first one was really different. Like basically he wanted to pass from like a trimester, uh, system to a point system, which Overall, it was still very aggressive. Like it's, it was mainly about like if you were on, earning more money, you will have like a better retirement. It was like um, to the disadvantage of people that actually, you know, earn not a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and now basically like his new idea was just to raise retirement age, which, um, was done mainly under false pretenses. Um, that was, uh, I mean, the, the entire endeavor is just about like, you know, fiscal responsibility, quote unquote. Mm. Um, but like, uh, yeah, like the excuses were like all over the place. Like, uh, it was mainly about a justice thing. Like he tried to convince people that like he would have like a minimum retirement of like 1200 euros, which happened to be a lie. <laughs> um what do you mean tell me more about that so he just made up a number and how do we know it was a lie and you know what what is the justification so for on our end they say social security is insolvent they've obviously made um legislative choices to make people pay for social security as we go that makes it have these arbitrary kind of um uh Funding cliffs that other poly- other programs don't. Obviously, we endlessly fund the military, MMT, blah, blah, blah. Moreover, yeah. it's a regressive tax, so people who are very affluent don't pay as much as Social Security as people who earn under whatever the cutoff is, like $160,000 a year. So we have all of that kind of stuff going on, and there are some policy fixes that could help, but no one will vote for them. What's going on in France? Uh, so in France, like the, uh, the pension system work in a way that like you need to work like a certain number of years, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm mainly like trimester. And depending on how much money you earn, you will be able to like earn trimester like more quickly than other. But uh, the way that it works right now is basically that you have to work like around like 43 years and you have like a complete pension. Uh, so the thing is that during, you know, Macron basically got elected mainly by retire, by retiree, like by conservative retiree. That's the way that he actually got elected. Um, and in order to convince them to vote for him, he basically tried to say that he was going to reform pension uh, in order to basically fund a better retirement system for people that are, in, that are retiring now. Um, so he put the idea to say that, like, yeah, we are going to raise the age to 62. So people, like, basically, like, almost right now will have to, like, um, work more and more until, like, um, at the end of his term where, like, people will have to, like, uh, work, like, uh, I think around, like, three years more. Um, the thing is that when you actually looked at uh, the proposition, the way that it was uh, that it was proposed, um, it actually did not allow for people that didn't have a complete career, so that didn't work like the 43 years that uh, basically allow you to have complete pension to actually have this minimum of 1200. And the thing is that most people that worked an entire career are already earning a pension that is more more than 1200. So the people that will have that already have like a very low pension will basically get almost nothing. Mm. Um, so you know, it was like a lot of lies um, around like, you know, the sort of justification. He tried also to say that like, you know, but in Italy, we're at like, if we're at 67 or like, you know, all of this type of argument that doesn't really like convince people because mm-hmm. like that have nothing to do with anything. Like, um, I'm sorry for Italian people, but like, they're not paying as much taxes. Like they have a different system, they have a different, a different history. Um, and I, I pray for them to have a better retirement system. But um the the thing is that you know the sort of basic argument that he that he's trying to say is it's like Republican like they want to save Social Security he wants to save the pension system from itself like mm. that's always that like uh, you know they're very attached to uh, the uh, 
uh, repartition-based retirement system. That's that's her argument all the time, and they need to say it from itself. Basically, kind of her argument is that it's going to have a small deficit in like a few years, um, but very small, and it's going to like go back to um, to being like solvable very quickly. And um, the entire idea to raise the retirement age for basically everyone. So it does not matter if you have like a you know a very demanding physical job. Or, you know, if you work in an office, you will have to like work two years more. Like that's why, mm-hmm. um, you know, the uh, trash collector are in strike because um, although some of them are getting like uh, a retirement earlier, like they will still have to like work more than like two years more when a lot of them have a very like low life expectancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, a lot of you know, poor people would just like never get a pension under yeah. this type of uh, under this type of policy. And the way also that he tried to pass this law, like that was that was a scandal. Like, <laughs> I mean, he used like every single like obscure like constitutional like um, 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 provision mm-hmm. to basically. Basically, like the House, uh, and you know, like France is a little bit like America, where like we have a Senate and a House. Uh, the Senate is like a little bit different than in the US because it's not directly elected. Like, um, you, you don't vote for senators, it's uh, you have great electors where basically our elected officials are voting for senators, and you have a House which is directly elected, like, like in America. Okay. Uh, only their, uh, their mandate is like for five years here. Um, the thing is that the House, which is the only like body that basically has some form of democratic accountability, never got to vote for this law because the way that he decided to pass it was actually under financial, like basically he didn't pass like a normal law. He passed um, a rectification to the budget of 2023 for Social Security, um, which basically meant that first of all, like no matter how, like if the house had the time to vote for the entire law or not, they had only like eight days to talk about it. Mm. And they basically got to vote only for like two of the 20 amendments that uh, were on this law. Then it went to the Senate, which is extremely conservative, uh, put like a lot of bullshit on it. And then it, it went back with a sort of like um, commission that was composed half of um of House members and the House of Senators that decided to pick on like uh, some amendments in order to like, propose the law that needs to be passed by the House at the end. Uh, and um, at the end, we basically understood that um, their coalition to pass this law was just not going to work. Um, because, um, you know, I, I think that like the reason, like, like you know, we had like um, the, the House election um, just after uh, Macron got elected. And I think that the single reason why he didn't get a majority was mainly because of his retirement system mm. um, 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 thing. Um, so he he doesn't have like enough of a majority to pass a law by itself. He wanted actually to like he had um, an arrangement with the Republican Party, uh, which you know is like a traditional like the goal uh, party. Um, but that got kind of destroyed by him. Like they're like um, very very overrepresented in like local elections. So they're very overrepresented in the Senate, but they only have like sixty on the, on like a five hundred and seventy seven uh, House um, 
members, like they're only 60. And the thing is that because like they're supposed to be in the opposition, uh, even though they're right wing, like I think most of the sort of young Republican that got elected, like mainly in the last few years, got scared and just decided to say that they were not going to support this law. So mm. he used like another uh, amendment and like another like part of the constitution that basically allowed for the law to pass um, under um, under the responsible like the responsibility of the government was uh, put on the table. So you had like a, a censure vote, mm. uh, which kind of had the ability to prove that this law was just not going to pass for sure because it failed only by nine votes which uh, is kind of historical. Uh, and I think that it kind of motivated, like personally motivated me a lot to like protest more. And I have like for most of friends too, because like, you know, um, like that's, that's scandalous. <laughs> the way yeah. that he's deciding to do things is like uh, so regressive. So you know, it, Help me understand, given that, you know, there was so much political opposition that there, all of these kind of maneuvers had to be taken in order to try to pass this legislation. And on top of that, obviously, there's been this incredible protest and uprising in the street. You know, what what's your read on why anyone would continue to try to pursue this obviously failing legislative agenda, especially when, as you tell it, the deficit is fairly minimal. It doesn't seem like there's any real crisis or real argument that there is a pension crisis. You know, wh why, why take this kind of political hit? Why, you know, and, and what, how do you see this panning out? To me, it's mostly a virtue signal that he wants to send to the European Commission, to be honest, because the, Euro the European Commission have been like pretty straightforward around the fact that they don't feel that uh, the retirement system in France is um, basically it's too social. Uh, and, and they like basically kind of encourage friends to uh, to reform it. So I think that's the, that's the main thing. I truly like um, after hearing him, he, him talk and all of that. I don't even believe that he thinks the shit that he's saying. Like um, you know, uh, one of the things that like I won I was on the protest on like uh, last Thursday and basically the day before uh, he went on like um, an interview uh, and like that was like extraordinary like this man had the goal <laughs> to compare us to the january sixers and to the brasilia insurrectionist mm. um and then went out of nowhere he said that he wanted to basically lower immigration and that he wanted to basically also responsibilize people on welfare jesus so i mean um, like we're seeing videos of like i saw one of like cops crossing the line to join protesters and you know there is this real sense that you know there's a cultural um support openness to protests that far exceeds anything the united states has and you know it's just that being the case like who are these people who who is his constituency are you saying that he's truly just trying to signal to um, other kind of institutional actors and, and willing to take the political hit? Or is there like a constituency of voters that actually agrees with Macron? I don't, I don't really think that you have like a heavy constituency of people that would vote specifically for that. Uh, you know, every like study that actually looked at the people that voted for him, even in the first turn, like the 67, like uh, rise in the retirement age was like seven 
on their on their list of stuff that why they voted for him and mm-hmm. it was like widely unpopular with basically any other party except for the republican party so i i don't think that it's mainly like to uh, like convince the constituency it's mm-hmm. mainly for like conservative retiree which you know disproportionately votes so it's not kind of help him but you know if he have to call like a legislative election earlier like everything show that he would get destroyed yeah like i mean he already got destroyed in the last one like he lost you know um he had basically back uh in 2017 when he got elected you know um he actually got a extremely big majority like a very very important majority uh his only like you know he's in the coalition of party at the time it was just two party now it's three uh his only his own party had already like the majority the majority of seat in the house now because it was a new party and like a lot of member actually just decided to go out of uh, like you know uh go to other parties because like they were disappointed by him like he kind of did this extraordinary thing of like losing his like own majority like without calling on an election mm. but um uh and and now like clearly um with those new um you know with those new election everything showed that the far right would get like i mean already like in the last legislative election he very much played into sort of lesser of two evil like um, kind of in the same vein that what he did in the presidential election mm-hmm. where you know we needed apparently to vote for him to save us from fascism mm-hmm. um and um and now like the legislative election was basically to explain us that we were like in a sandwich in between like stalin on one end and mussolini on another and that he was the only sensible party mm-hmm. um it didn't fully work. God, centrists but... love them some fascism so that they can point to it and say, hey, look, you got to vote for me or else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it didn't really fully work. Like, uh, all expectancy was actually that the left would have done, like, better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did, you know, because it decided to go under a coalition because, like, we felt by so little to go in the like in the runout of the election of a presidential election so you know the green party the communist party and like her, i wouldn't know exactly how to translate his name but like the major left party mm-hmm. that we have like decided to go into coalition and the socialist party too uh to go into a coalition and present like only one person per district um and you know it did somewhat well like it's the biggest as a whole um opposition party but like the number of far right but because of that and because like the um the ire of the centrist was mainly on the left uh you know they got like a lot of far right um people got elected um you know the way that institutional working here basically if you're very much too much of a minority party and you are not able to go into a coalition with other parties very complicated to get elected so historically, the National Front um, was very, very underrepresented in the institution. Uh, you know, back, what, 15 years ago, we only had, like, I think, three House member when they got, like, more than 15% of the votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it passed to, I think, uh, eight. So not a lot. And in the last election, it got multiplied literally by 11. Now they're, like, 88 <laughs> Um, mm. Mm. Uh, and everything showed that like if an earlier election is called like uh, they would do better like their strategy is actually not that bad even though like you know 
what I'm talking about, like, you know, Stalin on another and Mussolini on another part, like, I'm, I'm not disputing that much with Mussolini part, even though I don't know if, like, with that much worth it to vote for, like, an authoritarian, the ones who do what he's doing. Like, one other thing also about, like, why this opposition is so important is because literally, like, opposed by, like, in between, like, two-third and four and three-fourth of the population overall, and by, like, more than, I think, 93% of working people are opposing that law. Mm. So yeah, well, pad, basically. yeah look what you're, you're helping me to realize is that I, I do think it would be useful to do um an episode on this so uh, maybe you should if you have thoughts and feelings or if anybody has thoughts and feelings about who would be a good guest to get into what's going on in france and kind of maybe some u.s applications because an american audience likes to hear u.s application do drop me a line in the you know, the messaging here or over on Patreon or on Twitter or wherever you, you know, live okay. on the internet. Cause this has been very edifying and I appreciate you taking the time turtle. I want to get a few more callers in before I get to the top of the hour, but I really yeah. do appreciate you um, weighing in here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, turtle. I'll, like, give you some proposition for some guests. Uh, if you want to. Thank you so much. I really will appreciate it. If you, if you yeah. have the time to drop me yeah. a line. All right. Thank you. Keep the faith. Uh, New Trek, what's on your mind tonight? Hello, Bree. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. Um, So, um, I thought I maybe could lighten up your mood. So, I made a list of topics. (laughs) Germans are not known for that. No, no, I'm kidding, of course. No, I'm No? Oh, I was looking forward to it. I wanted to know what you thought could... uh... (laughs) Make me no. grin. Uh, so, yes, maybe I'm. I let you choose. Uh, do you want something fun, or do you want um, something very serious? What do you want? <laughs> well, I never got to opt for something serious, even if that's what's good for me. Wait, what do you want to talk about tonight? This is your. No, the floor no, no, is no, yours. No, no. I want to turn the tables. I want to turn to ask you what to lighten up your mood. What do you want to talk about? Something very funny or more or less uh, serious? Um, j- just choose. Uh, fun, I guess. Although my main priority is getting through as many colors I can in the next 30 oh, minutes, to be honest. So oh, whatever it is, but my priority best. is just getting to it, to be honest. I will try my best. So, uh, something fun it is. Um, so, uh, the essence of your podcast. So the most important issue, I mean, this, the, this thing is all, always goes around and around and, and always hits it all the time. So let's talk about Jimmy Dore. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What's what's Jimmy Dore up to these days? What's, I just what's the latest kidding. concern I don't or want complaint? To talk about Jimmy Dore at all. It was just um, a funny observation that uh, after Sam Cedar and Jenk Uger and Vosh and uh, even some callers of uh, people don't talk about Jimmy Dore. It's disrespectful. I mean. There are way more important issues. Um, um, maybe, maybe something more interesting. Uh, Vosh, uh, you you interviewed him. It was painful to hear, but it was good that you did it. Very good, but very painful. And uh, I like the ob- observations of your audience members, like uh, Jonathan, who um, had um, recognized that Vosh. Um, not wanting to research an issue, but have opinion of everything and telling you that his audience doesn't know anything is uh, Jonathan's observation that this is, this is very disrespectful to his own audience. And mm. he's maybe a living 
Dunning-Kruger-Effect or something like that. That is, um, st stroke something with me. I thought, oh, that's, that's nice, uh, that uh, some, somebody has the same feeling about it, how, how disrespectful it is. But I liked your take that nobody seemed to, um, mention, uh, in your audience or anywhere that you pushed him and pushed him to ask the question, what is his solution? And at the end, I think after 10 or 20 hours, something like that, yes. he, told, he told you that, um, I just, uh, what was my feeling? Um, he told you that his, his uh, solution is to wait for climate disaster or something like that. Mm -hmm. And how uninformed can you be to, to promote something like that? I mean, just look in history of humankind the past 2000 years and show me just one, one case of a climate disaster or a, an earthquake or something. I mean, war, whatever you want that pushed democracy or a more uh, social society because of people living in tents and are hungry. They are not usually going on a street for fighting for single payer health care or something like that. You know, I, I don't think that, uh, that something uh, is, um, is uh, happening like that. So it was, um, very disappointing, but, but uh, nice to, to bring somebody out like that and to show people what he's up to or, yeah, I mean, look, a third of Pakistan being underwater last year, all of the water crises that are going on in Flint and Mississippi, the East Palestine disaster, they can't drink water in Philadelphia, uh, L.A. doesn't have water half the time. I mean, like, mm -hmm. it, it, every everything that um, David Wallace-Wells wrote about and the uninhabitable earth, I mean, the stats in that, that uh, book, as I said on the podcast, continue to haunt me. The millions of people in like China mm. and India alone that die every year from air pollution. I mean, the world is wrecked and mm. still nothing. So yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I think, I do think there is eventually going to be a tipping point, but per David Wallace Wells, what he said on Thursday was like, the tipping point is going to be at a point where it starts to affect people in the West in a more meaningful way. And at that point, it's already, just so cataclysmic for everybody else that it's and it's frankly unethical to wait until Americans need to care because then it's you're so far beyond it being too late. So, yeah, I'm with you that that is not a set. Well, there's not a satisfying answer for me, but I do think that there was value in getting, you know, everyone to kind of just put their cards on the table because it's very easy mm -hmm. to be critical of other people and much harder to offer an affirmative plan. And I'm certainly not sitting here saying that I have all the answers, but. I think it's helpful to at least be honest about that and to be inviting people on and to be d dialoguing with people with the goal of coming up with an affirmative alternative. And by the way, I feel the same way about electoralism to the extent to which it's valuable to folks. And so like, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I, I, I'm not going to put down anybody's legitimate criticism of Marianne, but I do have more interest in talking affirmatively about how to recruit someone else, who that person would be, mm -hmm. how they could be supported and all those kinds of things that people really do feel that strongly about Marianne not being um, someone that they're interested in. Mm. But but to give you all the solutions you want, and I'm not overpromising here, of course not. Um, if I give you a magic wand, a policy wand, and you can implement one policy from all the policies you you seek uh, and your audience is seeking, which policy would you implement? I would, I would implement Medicare for all. Okay. So 
are you disagreeing with Lawrence Lessing, the 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 so-called one-issue candidate of 2016, I think, that the only policy that matters is maybe campaign finance reform or getting money out of politics? Or oh, that's an uh, interesting really question. Mm-hmm. Campaign finance reform. That that that's interesting. That's an interesting option. Um. Yeah. I know his argument. I think you remember. He, he, if you don't get money out of politics in any way, you will never, never keep in victory. It will, it will diminish itself over time. They will mm-hmm. take it away from you one by one, little by little. You know. I mean, there's an argument that even campaign finance reform will can be mm-hmm. undone um, in the same way. And there's a question of you know, kind of uh, ethically. Is it is it right for me to basically doom all these folks to premature death, hoping that the trickle down effects mm-hmm. of campaign finance reform will kick in instead of just like doing the most life saving, life sustaining policy that there is that is dem- demonstrably will save lives now and worrying about it mm-hmm. being eaten away at, at a later date? I don't know. Um, that's 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 tough, but I, I definitely appreciate. You know, and would I respect I respect anyone whose answer is campaign finance reform? And if I gave it some mm. more thought, I could could be convinced that that's my answer as well. Like I, I, that's it's a very good answer. So, after two years of listening to you and um, another guy, um, I think he's a Harvard lawyer too, a young guy who's walking in your shoes or steps or how you call it. Um, I think his he has a podcast called um, Ralph Nader's Radio Hour. Mm-hmm. I came up with only the, the, the two solutions you have is you have 22 states of direct ballot access and you can push for campaign finance reform and do it because uh, Ralph Nader had a guest on. They did it. They did uh, something against uh, gerrymandering, an activist uh, lady who just posted an, something on Facebook. Hey, who wants to push for uh, ballot initiative against uh, gerrymandering and i think she got like something like thousands of uh, answers yes i will help you and they did it they managed um to to push a ballot uh, against gerrymandering but mm-hmm. it would be more interesting to push for all the 22 states for something like campaign finance reform and getting money truly out of politics this is one solution you maybe have and the other one i'm not sure are you familiar with how East Germany, GDR, the German Democratic Republic, freed itself up at 89, you know, when the wall fall. I'm not sure if you remember the time. You were too young, of course, but mm-hmm. if you if you know about how they managed to, to bring down the system. Um, because... If, if, if I can educate you, you and your audience, because it's very, it's a funny anecdote. Uh, um, and it's not really that in detail in Wikipedia or something else. Um, they, they, we had um, pastor, uh, Protestant pastors who pushed for demonstrations on every Monday. It was a general strike like every Monday. And it started with a couple of thousands of people and it ended up with 500,000 of people. It's it's a large number, 500,000, because uh, East Germany had only like 15 million people at the time. So like Rolf Nader always says, you need just like one or two of almost 3% of the population and you can change everything. Yeah. And um, it led up to, to the fall of the wall by an accident. So we had a guy named 
Günther Schabowski, and he went on television, and we only had five television channels in whole Germany, two in Eastern, three in Western Germany. And he told on the, on the news at 8 a, uh, p.m., he was asked, he, he wanted to, to announce a, a easy access for elderly and seniors to tra uh, that they don't need a travel visa. They can just go through the, the border and they just need to show their passwords. But he got this news, so he had to tell the people very late. And the, the part about the seniors and elderly was not in there. So he just went on television and told, well, everybody can now go through the border uh, and just show your password, uh, passport, I'm, I'm sorry. And, um, and everybody did, and the wall fell. So it was a little bit of an accident. But um, the way it shows is maybe you need somebody like Reverend William Barber, who can push for a general strike like on every Monday or every Saturday, I'm not sure, um, and, and, and come up with, um, um, with something that is regular every week, you know, so, so it can push up itself to get bigger and um, gain momentum. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, that would be wonderful, but William Barber's not going to do that, so... No. I have respect for William Barber. I think that he has an incredible amount of power to affect real change, and he chooses not to because he mm. wants to has to have access. I mean, look, I don't know why. I'm like, I don't know why, but I know that he does not endorse candidates, and I think that that mm. is wrong. I think that's unethical. I think mm. that he, as a consequence, it will never be as critical or adversarial of someone like Biden as he needs to be to actually change anything. Mm. I think that he has no real leverage as a consequence of, again, not putting a fine point on who the problem is. And as mm. much as I respect his messaging and his ethics and his hard work and his commitment to people and all of those kinds of things, if you are, you were, you, you know, at a certain point, it's like, if you are so unwilling to break ties with the establishment figures who are killing us, because you think there's value in you having a seat at the table, then at a certain point you become part of the problem. Mm. And, you know, mm. William Barber won't even come on this show. Mm. Now I haven't, you know, I, at some point I reached out and they said that they would, and then they just stopped responding to me. And so well, maybe there was a change of the guard and there's some administrative reason why, and it's not personal and that's all fine. And I would love to have them on. And I think it would be really useful. Mm. But what I've noticed is that a lot of people, realize what this show is and the kind of questions they're going to get. And then they change their mind about coming on. Mm. And I would love to be disavowed of the conclusions that I've drawn from that. And I would love to be proven wrong. And I would love to sell, I would rejoice to be proven wrong, but I got to be mm. honest. I'm very frustrated that people with who have earned, he's really earned so much respect and public credibility when there are these, what I feel to be once in a generation tipping point moments, like a Bernie 2016 or 2020 campaign, choose to say, I'm going to not, I'm going to stay apolitical. Cause what are you saving that political capital for? Where are we now? What did that get us? You know? Mm. So I, I want to move, I want to move on, but I really appreciate yeah. um, you calling in tonight. New track. Yeah. Thank you very much for taking my call and um, shout out to your uh, listeners. Uh, always nice um, to get their opinion too. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's a great crowd here. Thanks, New Trek. Keep the faith. Bye-bye. All right, Lysol. What's on your mind tonight? 
Hey, Bri. Oh, what happened? You still hear Lysol? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's on your mind okay, today? Okay, there we go. Um, so I, I thought today was a great episode. And um, I was wondering, did they, did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them for the episode? So I ran into them at the Marianne, like I mentioned, I went to her like um, opening event in Union Station Ended up in conversation with both of them. I think they recognized me and we ended up chatting. And, you know, I I asked them, you know, candidly some of the questions that I asked on the podcast and expressed my concerns and asked why they decided to join and, you know, what the strategy was and stuff like that. And I thought it was useful and informative and gave me more of a sense of the campaign as like a real thing as opposed to like a abstraction or a vanity project or whatever people might think. And so I thought it would be useful for you guys to hear what I heard. And, you know, you can decide to think about it, whatever you want to think about it. But, I mean, what did you make of it all? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the idea of, like, states trying to outcompete each other to be the first primary. Is that actually poss- a possibility? That was fascinating to me, too. I mean, part of why I really wanted to talk to uh, Carlos was that he has been working in state politics in New Hampshire for so long that some of those like administrative details, I think are really useful to know regardless of who the candidate is at issue. Um, and he was, they were both, both Carlos and Mark Mercurius were speaking so specifically and in such an informed way, having worked on campaigns in the past and, and Mark Mercurius was giving, was saying so many honest things about what he felt the failures of Bernie were in South Carolina that it was frankly just very refreshing to me to talk to both of them. I'm just, I also wonder from like a staffing perspective, because like committing to be somebody like on Marianne's staff kind of precludes the, uh, the chance of hopping on somebody else's staff later. Do you think mm-hmm. they're, do you think Marianne's got kind of like the cream of the crop on that because nobody's expecting anybody else to like jump in or how would you, you know, without getting I mean, too- I, I have no idea, but I think that you're right that people who are like kind of professional politicals, take a, real, a risk affiliating themselves with someone like Bernie and then perhaps even more so someone like Marianne in terms of their future prospects. So I do think it, it says something when folks are willing to kind of hop on board like that. And I was frankly pleasantly surprised to, you know, see such, you know, capable, um, experienced people that Marianne had gotten on board. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, um, oh, and uh, one other thing. So the, the the local San Francisco show that I'm doing on Colin next week, we're having uh, Sister Roma. Have you ever heard of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? I don't think so. So it's a, it's a group. They got started in 1979 in San Francisco. It was kind of like the first branch. But they have, they have branches in 25 states and like 22 different countries. And it's kind of like they're, you know, it's like a, a re, like the, a retake on religion that centers around kind of just like, I think their their phrase is like expiating religious stigma and guilt and stuff. Um, but they're mm-hmm. very uh, protective in the community, and they've, you know, they've been doing it for longer than I've been alive at this point. And um, I don't know if that's something you might, somebody you might be interested in talking to. But I have the the person who kind of like, for better or worse, tends to be the person who's, who's the spokesperson for the group. So and I'm sorry, how do you understand what, what the group does, what they're about? So it's an order of queer nuns. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And they, um, you know, they do, they do fundraising type, type stuff. Um, they, one of the, one of the things that they were known for in the beginning was 
um, physically removing the Christian people who came to troll the Castro with their fucking 30 foot signs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of like, you know, I feel like almost maybe the best people to, um, to talk to in terms of kind of like getting a drag perspective on anything. Cause I mean, obviously as a, as a drag performer, I feel like it's, you know, th there's an important distinction to be made that there are people who are trans who do drag, but they are definitely two separate things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what makes somebody trans or what makes somebody a drag performer is not the same, even if they're both. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll keep, I'll keep an eye out. Thanks for the suggestion, Lysol. Yeah, for sure. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right, Chris, what's in your mind tonight? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Perfect. Uh, well, I was just thinking about the question you had posed um, about, well, originally Marianne's chances, and um, I was kind of thinking about that, and I was just like, I just don't see it being possible. Um, I mean, I will vote for Marianne, but I already know a bunch of leftists I know who are saying she's not, they're not going to vote for her. I don't know what the reasons are, but um, I know the the thing for me is um, I feel like um, because of kind of the, the way the left's kind of been going the past like decade or so, um, pretty much since Barack Obama got elected, but especially like after he left office and Trump got elected, there's just been such a um, push for, um, you know, mainly women of color to be the vanguard of the whatever happens with the left next. And I just can't see the left coalescing behind, you know, a white woman with no real... Um, you know, big track record to stand on because that was the magical thing about Bernie. And the only really thing I think he had that galvanized a lot of people was he um, had, what was it like a 60 year track record of just being consistent and pretty much being right. Like he was speaking, he was speaking for gay rights in the eighties or seventies or some stuff like that. And those kind of clips are like what allowed him to kind of, um, I feel like become so popular and, and get that left support. Um, but I, do, I just don't see how Marianne can do it because the left is just like so divided. And um, I, at this point, I just don't see like a candidate without an amazing track record like Bernie to stand on to where they can't really attack him or, and, and they even still did attack Bernie because he wasn't pro black enough or, I don't know, some other things. Um, so I, ju I just can't see Marianne Williamson doing it as much as I would. Okay, so I, I don't know. What do you take from that? Like, what does that do for you to say that? Well, I don't know. Like, what, are you, of... what does that mean for you, practically speaking? And why do you feel compelled to say that? Here, here's, here's my thing. Mm -hmm. When I supported Bernie in 2016, there was no chance of him being president in most people's view. At yeah. no point did I open my mouth and say, well, I think it's really unlikely that Bernie's going to be president. Cause I just can't, I just, I'm really having like, help me, help me understand this guys. Yeah. To me, when people in 2016 used to say that, I would be like, do you want to vote for Bernie? Yes or no? No? Then mind your own business. You know, yeah. go and do your neoliberal things, none of my business. If yes, then shut the fuck up. Vote for him and convince other people to vote for him. That's your only job 
is to vote for him and try to get as many people as possible to vote for him. But running around saying, well, I would do it, but I don't think anyone else is going to do it. It just undermines your own interests. So I just help me help me understand this. We all understand the odds here are slim, right? So either you you personally don't want to vote for her, which is completely fine, and don't vote for her, or you would want to vote for her. You hope that people vote for her, and you're struggling to figure out how to convince them of how to do that. In which case, we can have a strategic conversation about how to improve Marianne's chances. Or you passively vote for her, but like you're not like that involved and you're just going to go about your life and your business. All fine options. But I just, I don't know what to do. You guys calling in being like, oh, I think Marianne's chances are bad. Okay. I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Like it's obvious. I don't know what to say to that. Okay. So what? You know what I mean? I think maybe have uh, <laughs> didn't articulate my point very well because okay. uh, I agree with you. I fall in that second category. Like I am voting for Marianne Williamson. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to try and convince everyone that has a half a brain that I know to do so as well, unless a better candidate gets involved. Um, I'm just, I was just saying that because based on my experiences of, cause I, cause I do community organizing and uh-huh. I did union organizing before that. And, um, so I, I've seen kind of the behind the scenes, what the left is behind the <laughs> scenes and the way they make, uh, sorry, that's my son, oh. make calculations and, <laughs> You know, I've, I've just seen the, I've seen these leftist organizations kind of like what, what you were talking about, William Barber. Mm-hmm. I've seen them do the same thing where they know they will tell you to your face, like, you know, so and so candidate. Cause I live in uh, Denver or the Denver mm-hmm. area. We have uh, a democratic controlled city council. Every seat is democratic. Mm-hmm. Um, and last, so basically whenever there's an election, it's, it's usually like a democratic primary. It's always like a progressive challenging a more, establishment corporate friendly democrat okay and i've seen just these leftist organizations talk about like how the mayor is horrible and you know because he supports like making being homeless illegal and having cops come and just push homeless people around and stuff like that they'll say that but then they will endorse him and i'm like well how can you endorse this person that you don't agree with and they're like well you know, he, he's the person who's going to win. So we want to have a, a chance to push him when he, that whole, this mm-hmm. whole crazy thing about like the same thing with Biden. It was the same thing with, you know, so you've mm-hmm. seen it. Um, I don't support that. I don't agree with it, but I'm just realistic about like, especially when it comes to winning a primary because a general election is a whole different beast. Mm-hmm. Like For I sure. think Bernie, I think Bernie would have crushed a, a general election, but a primary, when you think about who votes in the primary, it's like, a bunch of old people that aren't willing to really take risks. And then, you know, like some party loyalist. That, that's, I mean, the voter turnout for primaries is what, like two or 3% of the vote? Like mm-hmm. it's so small. And it's these people that, um, you know, are basically just puppets of the Democratic Party that vote in the primary. So any, any real chance for somebody like Marianne Williamson is going to have to involve getting, people to actually care about primaries and i don't know how you do that <laughs> well okay so if the question is how do you get people to care about marianne williams in the primary i think that's a much more constructive question and a much more interesting conversation because i gotta say i don't know what to do with well i think that people won't vote for marianne i'm like okay well i don't work for marianne so yeah i just mean the that's people your that opinion primaries. <laughs> like, um, like even if they agree with her like they will because the media telling people nonstop that Somebody can't win. That, it has I, I a psychological the- effect. That's why I'm like kind of triggered by it. It's like, well, if, if you want to say, if you just want to come out against Marianne, come out against Marianne. But this like weird psych- psychological game, and I don't think this is what you're doing intentionally, but no. like there's like this weird past progressive thing that people who don't actually like a candidate do where they're like, 
Like, well, you saw this with Bernie a lot. Like, people who basically had no ethics and morals, had no yeah. courage of their convictions, who were so afraid of seeming goofy and stupid and unserious that they will say, well, I care about all these issues, but I'm not going to vote for Bernie because he's never going to win. Like, no, just say that I'm an unethical twat who yeah. is not going to vote in a primary because I'm a piece of shit who actually likes neoliberal policies and just own that that's who you are. Like, don't say yeah. it's because, oh, I'm just super pragmatic. No, like, own, own it. Just be who you are. And like be neolib who loves Hillary Clinton, like just own it. So yeah. if, if you're not that, if, if you're well, not that, and if you're saying that you have concerns about how Marianne will tra- translate, like those are legitimate concerns. But here's what I'll say. Like, I know that like online left internet is, yeah. is like getting virtue, like clout for d- dragging Marianne in real life. Where everywhere you saw Bernie as having a uh, advantage and Marianne as having a deficit in real life, I have walked around with Marianne and had random waitresses come up and say, "Oh my God, are you Marianne Williamson? I love you. My mom grew up with your books and I and loved you." Yeah. So like, I, I understand that it's not necessarily like the same audience or the as good an audience or all those other kinds of things. But Mary, just because like you and I might not have read Marianne's books or known anything about her whole career, but you say Bernie has this whole record. Marianne has a whole other record with a whole other set of people. And that's yeah, real. She's a multi I don't know that part of her life. Yeah, she's I just a, know she's, since she, yeah, I, I know she's an author and she was famous, but when she ran for president last time, I had never heard of her before. I had no idea who she was. Okay, well, I'm telling you that when I got into college, my grandmother was like, what's Princeton? But I'll tell you when I said, mention Marianne Williamson, she's like, go over there on the bookshelf. There's a Marianne Williamson book over there. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> she's like, I can't believe you've never read a Marianne Williamson book. Here, take mine home and, re- and read it. You know, so like just because we that's what bugs me about all this hippy dippy crystal ball stuff. It's like you can think that's stupid, but there are millions of Americans, especially women voters who get dissed and dismissed, who very much like her because of all of that. Yeah, I think she could appeal to the people that Bernie struggled with, but the the people Bernie did well with, I think she'll struggle to reel in. So that'll be her challenge, I think. But um, and. Yeah, and I support it. I support any progressive challenger to establishment Democrats because the guy that called in earlier and said something about um, stop calling these Democrats centrist, that's how I feel about them. I'm like, they are a conservative party. Whenever I hear them called centrist, I'm like, define what that means because mm-hmm. I don't see any centrism. But I, I just feel like because I'm running for city council and it's similar to like a primary because the voter turnout's so low and then being told like, I'm not even allowed to criticize things Democrats have done right. because that will turn off primary voters or like these Democratic voters who vote in primary votes. And I'm like, if you can't critique all the ways the Democratic Party has fucked the working class, mm-hmm. which I don't think Mary Wilson will have a problem with that because I've heard her talk quite a bit. And um, I, I like her quite a bit. Um, I know she's not perfect, but, um, you know, I think – um, I think it's going to be an uphill battle because she's going to run into the same thing Bernie had. And I think really it'll just boil down to, is she willing to, is she willing to go after Joe Biden and the party with that same, uh, tenacity that Trump did? After? Cause I, I thought that was like the magical thing when he ran in 2016, when I saw him stand on that debate stage, look at other politicians and say, I know you're for sale because I've bribed you mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, that level of just going for the throat, I don't know if she's willing to go that far. I know Bernie wasn't, and I think that's ultimately what cost him. Uh, I hope she is willing to. She seems a little more willing to um, 
play with fire and uh, be willing to call call them yeah, out. Yeah, I, I think that she is, which is why you know I I, I gotta say my frustration at this point. It's not with you. It's not your fault. But like I'm seeing like purple pundit saying Brianna can't cut the umbilical cord to the duopoly. Like people who voted for Biden and voted for Hillary are telling me that I can't cut the cord because I'm like doing journalism and talking about things that are happening in the world. It's so unserious. It's so pathetic. It's so stupid. People who like have not listened. Like you're saying you're saying to me like I think that that Marianne will be a, we were wondering if she's going to be willing to criticize Biden and like come after the establishment. That's a great question. It's also a question that would be answered if you if anybody cared enough to just listen to her announcement speech. I mean, it was yeah. like shockingly visceral and shockingly adversarial to the Democratic po- po- Party, to Washington politics, to the whole thing. And so I'm willing to have a conversation like I listen to Marianne's speech, but I don't believe her. I, I hear some of the, her saying the right things, but I have skepticism for these reasons. But people just giving like completely uninformed takes, it's like a waste of my time. Like, yeah. just say you have a gut reaction where you don't like Marianne, that you're going to you don't care about this and that you don't want to be involved. But don't waste my time. Like, we're trying to have a real conversation about the pros and cons, the vulnerabilities and the deficits and the, and the attributes. You know, I, I, if you just are in your feelings, not you, not you, Chris, but if a that. person hypothetically is just in their feelings and doesn't like Marianne, you're entitled to your feelings. But they're frankly kind of boring and they're a waste mm-hmm. of my time. so go talk about it with someone else but i'm here to analyze real things in the world not just like your gut impulse about your fifis watch something consume something talk to people come back to me about what people in your community are saying what their needs are what you hope some candidate brings to the table what you hope that someone who's not marianne can bring to the table and how to recruit them but like it's just i'm i'm like so bored when there's so much real stuff to talk about in the world with like, oh, I just have to, I've never read one of her books. I have no idea who she was. I didn't, I didn't hear her name before, you know, 2020. I've never had a single conversation in real life with anybody. I've never consumed any of her campaign content. I have no idea what her electoral platform is. I liked Bernie, even though he had a lot of bad foreign policy positions. Bernie says he supports Biden entirely on Ukraine, but I don't have a word to say about Bernie, but have all this stuff, this stuff to say about Marianne. I say, I'll say I support Bernie in 2024, but I wouldn't support Marianne in 2024. All of this inconsistent nonsense. If you're principled and you don't like Bernie and you don't like Marianne and you don't like any of it and you are fighting with workers strike back and you are trying to recruit Matthew Ho and all of that, God bless. I think that's a really legitimate, ethical, and supportable position. But a lot of folks aren't sounding like that. And you're sounding all over the place like you're like weirdly triggered in a way that is like frankly kind of irresponsible, given that there is like some possible good to extract from this situation that's going to happen with or without us, which is that there's going to be a Democratic primary with or without us. And even though a bunch of you people who I got to say never heard of Shama Swan until I started having her on the podcast, but now want to lecture to me about what Shama did or did not say. Are now talking about how Shama, Shama, Lord Jesus Christ, Shama on the cross. I love Shama, but some of you guys sound ridiculous. <laughs> like that Shama Sawant said that we can't do that. Shama said no such thing. The reality is that there is going to be a Democratic. I didn't, I didn't run Marianne and I didn't create a Democratic primary. But there is going to be an election regardless of anything that I think about or want in my heart. And the question is, strategically, should the left take advantage of it? And if so, how? And if you have a way to take advantage of it and exploit it to our benefit that doesn't involve Marianne, I would love to hear it. But just not participating in it at all, I think, is a wasted opportunity. You're allowed to. I'm not your mom. You can do what you want to do. But I personally think it's a wasted opportunity. That's, that's all I'm saying. And you guys are, like, making me 
absolutely crazy with some of your takes right now. I gotta say, I'm sorry, Chris, this isn't on you. Like you're, you're, no, you're. Cool. This is not focused on you. I'm just generalized. I'm I just know you deal with a lot of shit. Yeah, you got some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I get it. I get it. I, I've seen. I've seen. I hey. I, I listen to your show. Um, you know, this is I think the third time we've gotten to talk to you. I actually tore my patella tendon like six weeks ago, so I've just been like really focused on like trying to be able to walk again and all that fun stuff. But um, oh no, I, I've heard I've heard some of the callers you get and some of the bullshit you deal with, and just like some of the times you talk to these people for like, I mean, I would have been like click after two minutes, and you'll go on for twenty minutes with them. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, look, I, I really look. Nobody here is being you know, paid to talk to me and like you guys are taking time out of your life and sitting on these long ass calls hoping to get through and I really appreciate that. Like this show has the longest cues of any anybody I've seen on Colin and like I really respect that. And you know, it means a lot to me. But like that the flip side of that is like people have stuff to say in this queue and like <laughs> yeah. like when it's just like it's like okay, so what's what are we getting at here? Like, I, I, I wanna, I wanna understand. I wanna understand, but I, I yeah. just, I need it to be proactive, like productive, like, and also, and in, in, in lieu of that, at least something new. Like, I want to hear, like, if you, Chris, like, have you spoken to anybody who who said something specific about why they don't support Marianne and what it would take for them to support Marianne or who they would support in the alternative to Marianne? Like, that's useful information for us, I yeah. think. Well, I think the problem for her is just the way she was portrayed in that last thing is like the crystal lady and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So she's got to get over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the bigger problem for like the left in general with these kind of situations is like because there's this new wave that came into Congress that was supposed to, you know, be something. They've just bowed down and bent the knee like none of them, not a one of them really has put up a fight. So when you look at Congress or you look at there's no gov- there's no progressive governors. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at the progressive bench, it's like Marianne Williamson. Uh, I don't know who you could pick out of Congress that you would think like would be good at it because I haven't tough. really. I mean, I mean, until Bernie announced he was running, because I saw I saw Bernie for the first time. I think it was like 2014 on Bill Maher of all places, and um, I n- had no idea who he was. I, I saw him on that show and he talked, and I was like. I don't know who that guy is, but I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the very next time I saw him was, I think, a year later on Bill Maher announcing he was running for president. Mm. And I was all in. I started donating money. You know, I, I got a, like a free bumper sticker from him b- before because I donated so early to his campaign. They were giving shit out for free because <laughs> nobody mm. was taking him serious. <laughs> um, and then finding out like months later, people were having to pay like 25 bucks for it. <laughs> I was like, oh. Um, so, I mean, like that's that's how I felt about Bernie. I kind of feel similar about Marianne just because, like, she's she's doing something courageous right now. Like, that's what I think people aren't really giving her credit for. Like, she is going to be attacked and vilified for the rest of her fucking life because of this. Like, and yeah. she's, what, seven? She's just going to yeah. be attacked. She's going to become a pariah if she loses. And she knows that, and she's still willing to do it because, like, somebody needs to step up. Like, we can't just keep letting this shit happen that, like, these just shitty corporate Democrats – and like these these corporate backers just picking our presidents for us, and then like that lady who said earlier, I forget what her name was, the lady from Prince George County, like talking about like people aren't like I look at these countries like France and like Israel, right? If that mm-hmm. stuff happened in America, nobody would protest. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that's where I'm like I don't I just 
we got to get to a point where like people actually give a shit about like just being trampled yeah. on. <laughs> I mean, I do <laughs> have this feeling and this is, this is, this is because I've been close enough to these things now enough times that it's like, as much as I think I have been pretty vocal in my criticisms of Bernie, putting yourself out there, especially as an older man who really didn't need any of this nonsense and, and sacrificing in that very personal way, I, I have a fundamental amount of respect for. I just do. And, you know, the way Marianne got disrespected last time around to want to do this again, the idea that anyone, like, she's set, like, she doesn't need the money. Like, the idea that she'd be doing this for shits and giggles or as a, a vanity project, you know, that that doesn't seem to make a lot of logical sense to me. And as much as I wish she would do some things differently, I just have a fundamental respect for the willingness to put yourself out there. Yeah. You know, largely self-finance at this point and like try because that's what you feel like you can do. And maybe you wish you would do other things and spend her money in other ways. And I completely understand that. But like, even if I might not participate in it, I have a fundamental respect for people trying. I felt the same way about Amy Vieja and some of the other candidates that we've had on. You know, do I have a, a deep degree of skepticism about the electoral politics and the Democratic Party's willingness to let them win and all of that? Yes. You know, yeah. do I at, fundamentally as human beings see them trying, see um, the candidate from you know Northern Virginia self-financing and struggling and hiring her son to be her like campaign director and just trying so hard to do what she can? And, and, and do I have a fundamental respect for that? Yeah. Like I've. I felt terrible for her in the way that, you know, she was kind of slowly internalizing our critiques over the course of the episode. And I think that she ultimately agreed with us and ended up dropping out soon after. But it doesn't cause me joy to see that happen. You know, like it's it's I, I respected her fight, even if I thought it was maybe misdirected. And and I don't know, like I, you don't have to res you don't have to agree with me, but that's kind of where I am with with Marianne and um no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you because uh, as somebody running for office for the first time in my life and doing so for a similar reason where it was like I live in a city that votes for Democrats for state house, Congress, you know, easy, like 60 percent. But then when it comes to city council, those same Democrats don't vote. So we have a Republican majority on our city council that just keeps doing racist shit, mm. you know, and just doing stuff that just crushes the working class. And I was like, how, how many years can I sit back and just watch this happen? Wishing somebody else would run. Like, I was like, hey, well, before I hurt my knee, I was like, ain't nothing stopping me. <laughs> so I, I finally you know, stepped up and did it. And I was like, it's hard. Like, I see why people don't want to do it because it is hard. Like, it sucks. Like, you're just constantly dealing with people's criticisms and telling you what you're doing isn't what they would do. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. why don't you run then? Like, <laughs> you're not running for office. Yeah. And, and look, it's hard. I've talked to some candidates who've been like, had a little bit of attitude in, res in response to voters and tried to remind them that, like, you got to keep your humility. And it's hard to do. Like, yeah. It's hard to do, but I think it's absolutely necessary. And that's one of the beautiful things about Bernie is that he was always just so focused on the goal and didn't yeah. personalize things and was so able to put his own kind of personal needs to the side. I mean, the man, someone in the comments talking about Bernie didn't sacrifice anything. I mean, the man literally had a heart attack on the campaign trail. I don't know what yeah, kind no of kidding. palace 
you know, heartless beast you have to be to sit here and say Bernie didn't give up anything to run for president at age like a hundred, like having heart attacks and, you know, sacrificing his elder years. Like, I don't know, like at some point you can't sit here and say that you are a humanist who are fighting for all of these human rights and have its human rights under approach when you can't look at a human being who's risking his life and have any kind of compassion for it. Like don't lose your humanity because you're trying to make some stupid quirky quip in the comment section, please, people. Jesus yeah, Christ. One for Bernie. I never would have got involved in union organizing or wouldn't be where I'm at now. So uh, all, all, all props to Bernie as much as, uh, you know, I have some critiques of him as well. But yeah, I, for sure. You know, not, nothing but love and support for Bernie because, you know, Bernie's still the – of my entire lifetime. I'm 41 uh, my entire lifetime, I've only heard one politician talk like Bernie Sanders, and that was him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no yeah, well, other you're, Democrat look, you're says one better close than, to that. You're better than me because I didn't hit, I didn't get clue into Bernie until I think it was the first debate. And I tuned into the first debates, and, you know, I heard something. My mom was a big Bernie supporter, and I listened to Bernie, I listened to Hillary, and I was like, well, this is obvious. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's what was so um, – I mean, that's what's so troubling about this idea that they'll shut Marianne out of the debates because I think that they're, that's a huge opportunity for her. Yeah. Uh, and I do think a, a conversation I think the left should be having is how do we pressure the Democratic Party to at least allow Marianne on the debate stage or whomever runs? Like, throw your hat in the ring, other people, but I'm just talking about the political reality right now is that it's Marianne. All that talk about how the Republicans are anti-democracy. Uh, the Bernie Sanders uh, 2016 and 2020 campaigns showed me just how anti-democratic the Democratic Party is as well. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I saw that firsthand because, yeah. Um, but I'll let you get on to another caller. I've talked enough. I did just want to say um, as to your other question about, like, who are some good ideas, not necessarily for this election cycle, but for future ones. Um I know you will disagree with this, but um, I think you would be amazing. <laughs> oh, LOL. Well, you, uh, you know, charisma. You... You're extremely <laughs> articulate and intelligent, and um, you got you got that youthful energy. I think uh, I think you would do well, but I understand why you don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, well, one can wish upon a star, but the way you guys are talking about Marianne, you're certainly not making it seem like an especially gratifying experience that would give anybody any support from anybody's community i'll tell you that much you guys are not giving a good pitch for why i would ever want to be involved in anything like this <laughs> lol but i appreciate you calling in chris and i appreciate the the kind words it's it's yeah. you know a lovely a lovely sentiment that you've expressed please take care of your knee and that um cutie pie crying in the background yes thank you very much <laughs> and uh Thank you for everything you do. It's uh, amazing having – I feel like you're one of the few sane, rational people that makes me feel I'm not crazy that I hear talking about politics in this country. So thank you for everything you do. Well, I, I appreciate that, um, and uh, keep the faith, my friend. Good night. Good night. We are at the – we're past the top of the hour, actually. So I am going to wrap for this evening – Thanks for calling in, and I apologize again for not having a Thursday show. I'm not going to be skipping these as much uh, for the time being. I'm sorry. I've been a little busy and overwhelmed, but uh, you guys obviously have a lot to say, and I've been doing shorter episodes. I haven't been doing like three or four hour long ones, so I feel doubly guilty that I have been doing shorter episodes and fewer episodes. So I'm going to get back on the stick, and I'm going to try to post in advance when these things are happening because I know that's annoying that I don't do that as well. Oh, baby steps. We're all trying. 
Thank you. And keep the faith. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all a million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beauty Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like it's like. I wish, I wish, that every time we driving it feels just like this I wish, I wish, that every time we do it it feels just like this I wish, I wish, that every time we loving it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming scheme Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean I wish that I could spread my wings I wish that I had seven limbs That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish Dímelo, dímelo, at least I kinda understand it Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets I wish I was an astronaut I wish I knew more classic rock <laughs> Focused on myself You can't help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish That every time we loving It feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it It feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we moving It feels just like this